you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. The Meat Eater Podcast is brought to you by First Light. Whether you're checking trail cams, hanging deer stands, or scouting for elk, First Light has performance apparel to support every hunter in every environment. Check it out at firstlight.com. F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E.com. Hey, Spencer and Yanni here. Before this episode of Meat Eater, Yanni and I have a big announcement about a big announcement. Yanni? That's right. Meat Eater Live is coming to eight cities this December. Yeah, and we're going to tell you when and where to find us on Wednesday's episode of Trivia. So please tune in to Wednesday's episode at the very beginning. We're going to give you all the details you want to know about where we're going to be, when we're going to be there, and how you can get tickets. Be there or be square. Uh, trying to think. Of- <laughs> it's a great start. How to start? Well, I, I, I gotta do a better start. It, here, right? Start over, Phil. Here we go. Okay, beep. Wow, what's wrong with my glasses? They're let fine. They're let fine. We're up. getting a little too nitpicky <laughs> yeah, around no, here, let me turn up. I'm turning up my magnification. Is this one of those times where you're joking about t- cutting it out, or you actually want to like start over? No, I want to start over. Okay, let's do it. Well, I was going to talk. I don't know. You decide later, Phil. Sounds I was going to. So we recently just to just bring people into spe- up to speed. First off, this is my, the episode is called. Well, it's not in the old days. It would have been called "Mung Dudes or Trouble Part 2. and we're joined by <laughs> Ya Yang and 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 Yia Yang Vang. 
Yeah, Vang. Yep. And yeah, you used to be yeah. I used to be yeah. Yes. That huh. simplifies things. How, how do you guys? How well do you guys know each other? You've met in the past. Never met. I listen. He's, to, he's I, familiar with your food. Well, I I listen to the to the pod with when him on with you guys. But yeah, other than that, got it. But no. he's he's uh, you've eaten at his restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Yip probably doesn't know this, but I've been at um, like he he caters fun fundraisers. Uh, I think you did the Hmong Museum fundraiser. Oh, catered sure, that. Yeah. Um, you probably don't know this, but you did a uh, a house catering party. This was pre pandemic, and mm-hmm. it was in somebody's basement. You came to the house, and I was in that party. Oh, it was cool. for our fortieth birthday party. Oh, okay. Um, and they had your your team come. Oh, shoot! Cook. I think I remember. Yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were introducing us to like edible flowers and stuff like that. So, so I've yeah. So I've had Mon- this like Hmong dudes don't <laughs> if they meet they don't necessarily like trade information. Well, yeah, I mean, Steve, it's like white people. Like, well, you no, know, it's different. It's like white people. We, the, but you, you guys like, are related. Right? It's different than white no, people. Let me tell you how it's different than white people in America. If okay. If I was in, if, if we have, how many people are in this country? 330 50 million. 330. Million. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For me to run into mm-hmm. a white dude born in America, that doesn't catch my attention. <laughs> if I had been born in uh, Laos, okay, mm-hmm. and uh, was displaced by activities around the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and wound up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I ran into another dude roughly my age who'd been through a similar set of circumstances, I don't know. I feel like you'd be like, oh, wow. Yeah. I think like the thing that uh, people have to realize is in, in Minneapolis, there's 75,000 Hmong people in the metro. Is it really? Yeah, Holy 75,000 Hmong yeah. people in the metro. So you can't keep track, everybody. No, I mean... <laughs> hard as you try. Yeah, like we, like, we don't all subscribe to the same newsletter, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, it's, you know, sometimes the, the things The Minneapolis Hmong yeah, News? Yeah. Um, no, Se- 75,000 is the yeah, Hmong population? Yeah, it's the largest, uh, most concentrated Hmong people out, um, outside of China, the uh, South China area, where there's about 2 million there. But, yeah. yeah so, see, you guys have the problem of having too corrected. many... Of of your 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 culture because if I meet a Latvian oh, dude, and if they, I don't know like if I much, don't know yeah. them I know somebody that they know they make I, out if I, he meets a Latvian they make <laughs> out well well even even with like the monk like so the thing with uh, the monk people is we have eighteen clans or eighteen last names you know so there's like our our tribal names within that too like there's a way of finding out like you're related to somebody to you know some way if you go back far enough you know. You, you'll always be like, oh, yeah, so, like, that uncle's, you know, aunt's cousin, da-da-da. And that's kind of what makes Hmong people such a really strong united front. So, like, in uh, the Twin Cities areas, they have what's called the 18 clan, where yep. each clan has a representative that, you know, and, and they're kind, it's kind of like the Jedi Council. I mean, they have—I mean, I'm serious, dude. Like, they come in, they meet, and they have— you know, they have like, they, they put out, you know, different, you know, ideas and they're like, okay, let's, you know, go to your clan and then, you know, tell them that, you know, this is what the new rule for this is. And then, yeah, that's, I mean, they do that. I mean. So what rule for what is? Give um, me for like, instance. Okay. For, for example, um, so in our culture, uh, some cultures, I mean, you could, you know, yeah, you like can help me on bra- this. Bra- but, bra- yeah. Like bra- dowry. Dowry bra- is still, is still part of our culture. Dowry. Yep. That's, yep. that's yep. a good deal, dude. Uh, if you is that, have, is that is that just symbolic now, or is there like some substance to it? A little bit. I mean, there's some symbolic stuff to it. There's some, you know, there's like all these like it's inside, both. yeah. There's all these inside Hmong jokes, you know, like like it's 
it's uh it's like one of those things where now I mean at points where it's like for example you can trace back to like so for example it's like the Yang clan wronged the Moa clan this way and you can trace it back and then the dowry there'll be fines oh, in the dowry. You guys wronged his clan? Oh, he's no. Like, I'm just using for example, oh. yeah. And 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 you can trace so gonna, it back. I was gonna spend a little Steve, time. Yeah. Steve's looking for the next <laughs> yeah, big book, right? He's now. just he's like, wait, yeah, a he's like clan trouble in Hmong culture. <laughs> let's chase it yeah. back. Let's, yeah, see, yeah. let's see if we so, find something. Definitely. And then there would be like, oh, well, we can find that group this much, and then you know, and then it'd be like, oh, the dowry is like twenty five k or something, yeah, you know. Yeah. And you know, so I think one of the things that they kind of start talking about is just the ridiculousness of these fines. That are huge, and these young couples are like, I don't have the money for this, you know. And so there was, you know, there was kind of these rules that were put out, or saying, hey, let's kind of demolish all this uh, kind of uh, tribal conflict from yep. from generations and generations ago. And so, you know, they put out a big statement about that, you know. Oh, really? And then they also they also capped the uh, the the the, dow- ride, yeah. the dowry yeah. at a set amount, yeah. so that. Everybody should just follow yep. that. Versus, yep. otherwise, it is a it goes all night high. negotiation. Yeah. You know how I just got caught being racist, like thinking you guys knew each other? Let me tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> Normally when a white guy gets caught being racist, he'll do stuff like, uh, he'll be like, well, I'm going to do more listening than talking, mm-hmm. right? I'm not. <laughs> well, I'm going to do more talking than listening, because let me yeah, tell yeah. you something. <laughs> Yah has been pitching you to us. <laughs> Yah was like, you should have this guy on. So eventually, when we got you to, when we got yeah. you to come on, we said to Yah, you should come out and hang out. Yeah. Is that cool. bad? I no. feel like that's great. No, no, it's it's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. funny. My my buddy Jordan, he like wrote in a little something. So yeah, back so on his episode, yeah. I was like, this guy's awesome. My my best friend. So you did it too in June of 2021. <laughs> I pulled it up today. It took me some doing, but in Gmail, I was like, I totally sent an email. I now I don't know if I you know wrote it well or not. Yeah, and I know you did a lot. You did the same thing. Did the yeah. same thing. Yeah, you wrote yeah. it. He wrote You're it. Like, these mom guys would I, like to know each other. And it was more so. This is another great. <laughs> like, mom. hey, I know a white guy. It's not yeah. exactly what I said. I'm gonna intro him to you. I feel like that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Jordan said the same thing, you know, and and he's like, hey, you know. And and then I kind of it was really funny, Steve. Like and especially with the whole crew here, I kind of he told me he goes, I'm sending this email to mediator. Maybe they'll have you out sometime. And I'm like, I prophesied. Cool. This. Yeah. And then I'm like, cool, bro. <laughs> if you do, and I get to go, I'll bring you. And we like both laughed and we're like, ha 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 ha. And then that was here we are. Here he is. Yeah, Can you introduce so. yourself? Really? Uh, We've done a horrible job introducing no, everybody. I don't, we haven't even gotten to Yanni's yeah. mountain lion Sorry. story yet. <laughs> Sorry, Yanni. So I don't, uh, just do it. Do it quick. You, you oh, plug yourself. Plug your restaurant. Oh, yeah. Plug so, your show. Yeah. So Yevang, we uh, from Minneapolis uh, area. Uh, we have a restaurant called Union Mung Kitchen, and then we're building out a second one that's in the works and hopefully it will all be finalized by this week uh, called Vinai, which is the refugee camp that uh, my parents met in. I was born in um, over 90,000 Hmong people went through there from 75 to 92. And so hmm. we wanted to name this restaurant Vinai. It's our first big brick and mortar project. Um, it, it, I tell people it's a love letter to my mom and dad. So that's what that restaurant will be when we get done, hopefully 2024 springtime. Great. But yeah, we have an, we have other restaurants and you know, all these other little things we do. Okay, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna dive into your awesome. your your food and <laughs> yeah. your past and all that kind of stuff. Based right. off of just that little pitch, though, like I want one on the list. Love letter to mom and dad. I'm oh. sold. Yeah, Good yeah, shot. it's, it's been it's been really fun, man. It's been yeah. really fun. So Ryan Callahan, still me. 
And then go ahead and introduce. Uh, my name is Jordan Vold, uh, college buddy of you. We went to school, uh, UW Lacrosse, years ago. And you're um, the guy that he said if he comes on yeah. the show, you're coming too. 100%. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, He's got 100%. a bluegill tattooed on his forearm. Let me see yeah. it. Yeah. Really? Right there. Woody. That's great. Man. Oh, I got to get one of them. You know, my kid has a. <laughs> you should, you should, I mean, there's nothing like a bluegill. No. My kid has one now in a tank. A tattoo? Oh, I thought you were going to say no, tattoo. No, no, no. Like, yeah. He's got a bluegill tank. I love that thing so much, man. We feed it like worms and stuff, but that bluegill <laughs> is trained now. He used to be kind of spooky. That when you come in the room now, that bluegill is lined up. <laughs> that bluegill's I, like worm time. <laughs> I don't want to get way into it, but uh, two summers ago, I never met my dad's dad, my paternal grandfather. He loved, you know, he's was he, he loved to fish, fish bluegill like any good Wisconsinite. Sure, never met him. Was fishing with my dad and his brother, my uncle Ron, and he had a, like a pitcher counter. I don't know if people do that to like count how many fish are in the boat to make sure we. Yeah, limit. I count them later. Yeah, when I'm emptying my bucket, you hit the you hit the clicker, <laughs> and um, my dad and my uncle Ron were just saying, "Grandpa, you know, our dad, my grandpa, who I never met, would have loved this." And I was just, you know, that yeah. moment, I was like, "That'd be cool. It'd be cool to do." You know, I was telling my kids about the other day because we. Uh, I was saying to them, I can't wait till that bluegill turns into a keeper. And they're like, you're not going to eat that. No, but no, I don't mean like that. I just want it to be that looking in the aquarium. And it's like a keeper bluegill in there. And I was telling them, when I was a little kid, I remember my dad made us sticks that were six inches long with your name written on it. And if you were fishing bluegills, you had to have that stick. And if it wasn't as long as that stick, mm-hmm. you didn't bring it home. Ah, that is awesome. Because he got so sick of cleaning those the <laughs> yep. four, four inch bluegills. <laughs> yep. Uh, Yanni's here. I, I told oh. you my little story about the, the neighbor that I fished with in North Carolina. He's a neighbor of my in-laws, and he used to be like head of sales for some, I think, Henry's Fish and Tackle maybe. Anyway, so he went and saw a lot of tackle dealers, tackle makers, et cetera. And he said he had been in the place where there's a bunch of aquariums with largemouth bass in them. Yep. And he walked in there once with other dudes with white coats on. And as you walked down these aquariums, the fish would all just turn and, and watch these. <laughs> and the guys would be like, oh yeah, it's time for a new batch. Because like, you can't test a lure on a fish that is just like waiting that for you to drop so, something into the, the water. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're going to come right back. Yanni's got a story. I don't even know, I don't even know the story. I don't even know what it is. Chester's here. Well, my mom was uh, in labor with me on Mullet Lake while my dad and mullet? her were fishing bluegills. Yeah. Hold on, keep back. I just got so Hold distracted on. by she Mullet was, Lake. She was uh, in the boat as she well. She went into labor and they were fishing bluegills on Mullet Lake. So, so it was like a race to get your limit. That's my connection to bluegills. <laughs> That's great. Hold on. <laughs> Did you know I was fishing walleyes the day your kid was born? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yang's here. (laughs) 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 Thanks for coming, yeah. Of course. Um, you gonna hit youth turkeys with us again? Of course. Yeah. You know they're the they're gonna it's things are moving along to get youth season to four days. Yeah, it's great. And your daughter got a turkey after we hunted together. Yes, yes, correct. That's good news. And you got a buck last year. You got a buck last year. I got a turkey this year. You did? Yeah. Oh, that's right. You said, yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, Yanni, you ready to tell this? Oh, can I, can I tell one thing before you tell your thing? You bet. Yanni's got a mountain lion story. It's not, you're not in it though, are you? No. Nope. Oh, okay. Secondhand. I'm just trying to, th- I'm trying to think of a way to plug my buddy's uh, business again. Not as thought of it. Uh, Chester, explain the text exchange we just had. 
Steve introduced me to his buddy Matt. Matt right? Dros. Matt Dros. He's got a little bar that he opened up, mobile bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, is there a direct sale of alcohol with this mobile bar? Uh, well, no. I th- I, no, you have to supply the, you have to buy the booze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll explain it for you, Chester. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you live in northern Michigan and you're having an event. Yes. 50th wedding anniversary, a regular wedding. Yeah, but we didn't just have that in the text exchange. No, I'm just helping. Okay. Like I said, I was using this as a jump off point. Okay, yeah. And you want to have a great experience for your guests. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you go to roaming... N O M I. Roaming Northern Michigan, but it's not. It's roaming N O M I dot com. My buddy's a school teacher. This is his summertime business. He has a camper trailer rigged up like a bar. When you're doing your event and you're, you know, you get married, you're like serving booze anyways. He helps you figure out what your booze order needs to be. You call in and pay for your booze at the booze store. He picks the booze up. Brings his mobile camper bar to your event. Him and his wife work there, work at it. They then open the window and your guests at your wedding go up to the bar. Mm -hmm. They do signature drinks, custom cocktails. They take care of everything. Yep. And pretty soon. I have nothing to gain from this. Pretty soon. They have tequila. If you want it. (laughs) And Chester has just out of the kindness of his little heart. My parents own a cocktail garnish company out of Wisconsin. So if you go to any grocery store or liquor store and you look for garnishes, it's probably Forest Floor Foods. But now you're going to be able to go to Matt Drozier's mobile bar. Drost. Drost. And order a Bloody Matt Mary. Matt Drozier's makes uh, Western Big Game ah, apparel over at First Light. But you're going to be able to order a Bloody Mary and he's going to have all the fixings for it. Or you're going to be able to old order an old-fashioned. You'll get a sweet pickled mushroom as a garnish, or really whatever you want. Nice cherries for a kitty cocktail for your kids, maybe even. We throw those in there, too. But um, I got more Matt Drill stories than you'd be able to stomach. <laughs> we used to drink, uh, remember Mad Dog 2020? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really remember it, but I've I feel heard like of Matt, it. I feel like he had a 30-30 rifle. We used to call him MD 30-30, because like Mad Dog, you know. Mm-hmm. That's not a good one. I got some good ones, <laughs> but I do have some good ones. Uh, yeah, let's not get into Mad Dog 2020 <laughs> stories. <clears throat> All right, the mountain lion story. Okay, so this story comes from my buddy Jeff Flood, who I met through uh, Bart George, who's our uh, big game biologist friend that works over oh, yeah, yeah. for the uh, Kootenai tribe in Washington. Uh, Jeff and our buddy Bruce help uh, Bart with, a mountain lion collaring project that you can, I forget which episode it is. Maybe Corinne will plug it in, but you can hear all about it when we had Bart on telling us about this uh, collaring study. There's what episode is that, Corinne? I'm not sure. It was, well, it was, uh, you know, I remember it, it was, was like one of the hundred. It was early number. COVID. It was early so, COVID because I remember like we came into the office up. and it was like mid 2020. Oh yeah, it was. It was remote because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're they're uh, researching like how much if, if they can deter lions from being around humans by playing loud human voices to them repeatedly. Mm. 
Mm. That's not what they're doing? Yeah, it's a little more complicated, but go ahead. Well, I, I know. I'm trying to simplify okay. it so I can yep. get to the main part of the story. Okay. So <laughs> to, to do this, they, ca- they catch cats and they collar them. Um, they catch them the first time using hounds and they collar them. And then when they come back, they know the location of the cat because it's been collared. And they can walk up to it playing usually the meter podcast at a loud volume. And then they measure at what point the cat runs, how far it runs. Because they're creating an association Yes, in this cat's mind. They're creating association between trouble and human voices. That's right. Because after they hear the human voices, uh, the hounds are released and, and then they're sort of, you know, run agitated by hounds up into a tree. Um, and, and they, they make do, that association. Yeah. They do that repeatedly and then they, you know, take the data. So it's ongoing study. This being because in the old days, if a lion so much as looked at a person, it was dead. And nowadays there's a little less social tolerance for that, for lethal control of predators right. in your yard. That's right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on over there in North, uh, East Washington. Uh, we won't get into it with just the whole the controversies oh. around mountain lions and people. And just the, the state and the governor and the game commission. Holy the, smokes. Yeah, we need to do a dedicated episode on that. Oh, man. We, yeah. We're yeah. hustling hard on getting actual uh, current commissioners mm-hmm. signed off on interviews and stuff like that. And I think everybody over there knows that uh, they're not uh, really well received right now. So we're not making a lot of headway. Mm, yeah. My my least favorite governor in America used to be uh Murphy over New Jersey because he campaigned against bear hunts. And my new least favorite governor is Inslee in Washington. Go on. So they uh collared a female um off of a uh, deer kill in late March. And uh <clears throat> a lot of times this is Jeff doing this work. A lot of times what Jeff does is if he uh, sees a deer kill and it's there's uh, enough carcass left, he'll throw up a camera just to see what happens, right? So he threw up a camera and um, in the first night, four adult lions and two kittens show up that night. So he just said, needless to say, it didn't last long. This is That's kind of a little side story to the main story. Uh, he figures with that pressure, this mountain lion uh, moved a couple miles away. Okay. The next time they they went to uh to to catch her, they when they when caught you say her, the pressure you mean from the other lions? Yeah, from the other lions. Got it. And she he figures now that he knows what he knows now that it was because she was about to give birth, so she moved a ways away, didn't yep. want to be by the other lions. So the next time they catch her, she's given they, he can tell that she has kittens because she's lactating. So they follow the back trail on the GPS of where they had first bumped her. And sure enough, there is uh, three kittens uh, like there in a pile. I put up, a, I had a picture of it on my Instagram. They were hold, holding the kittens. Um, so they put a, he puts a camera on the kittens. What was interesting, sorry, I'm trying to read an email while I uh, relay this story so I get the numbers right. Uh, he figures they were about 10 days old and uh, he said he thought it was interesting that how, how long sometimes she would leave all of them. Sometimes, and again, this is just through watching pictures on a trail cam. So you never know if mom's just behind the camera or next to it, not getting picked up. But at some point, seven hours, she would leave them. I'll buy and, that. And not be there. On May 4th at 11 
eight eleven a.m. Can can can, yep. are, can this be like can this be commented on as you go? Yeah, it doesn't. The reason that me. doesn't surprise me is it would be that feeding itself is just more involved, right? Exactly. Like, like, like a deer could just go graze, whatever, twenty minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Come back, graze, come back. But for that thing, I mean, it's headed out, right? Hunting. It's on yeah. like a mission. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, so it I, seems like they would need to be able to do like some kind of lengthy stash because it's not like, hey, I'll be back in an hour. Sure. You know? And I guess that the reason you would think that it is a long time is because you would think that, oh, how are those kittens going to survive that long without being able to uh, get a little milk in yeah, that seven hour it. period, got right? It. Yeah. So uh, May 4th, first thing in the morning, she uh, moves her first kitten, grabs it by the back of the neck, walks off with it. Hmm. Doesn't come back until 6 p.m. to get grab. Oh, the what s- time did it grab the first one? 8 a.m. So who knows how far it moves it, but comes back at 6 p.m. to grab the second one and, and moves it. Um, same day. Uh, one kitten left, right? Uh, it's like a bad children's book. But at... It's like a bad <laughs> parenting at, book. At midnight, <laughs> at midnight that next morning. Oh, I want to make sure I'm getting this. So... It gets the first one at what time? 6 a.m. Okay, then comes back in the afternoon. Eight, no, eight well. What did I say? No, 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. Okay, so it gets one to 8 a.m., brings it wherever. Yeah. Comes back that evening, 6 p.m. Now there's one sitting there into and the it, darkness. And at midnight, a skunk shows up. Oh. Yeah. And again, it's not like documented by pictures, but the skunk was there for quite some time. There was blood on the skunk. Mom showed up uh, the next day and spent five hours there, just like l- looking around, doing circles before she she left, and then he never saw it again. The skunk ate the kitten. Whether it ate it or or it just killed it, you know. But mm-hmm. I mean, think about it from the skunk's perspective. That's a big win. Yeah, <clears throat> take it out now. That's one less dude <laughs> <Yeah>. later <laughs> taking me out and or my you know kin. How, do you know how big oh, these dude, kittens man. are at what tiny at this stage? Like, so like I, I mean, you know, little fur balls. I mean, not sure. not not even the size of a house cat. Gotcha. That's yeah. a cold blooded skunk. Right? I want to uh, understand mom's like decision making too. Like, how does she select a kitten? Is it totally random? Oh yeah. Or is she like? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like my big favorite one. Right. My, my guess the is one that the in the middle is healthiest. the best kitten, right? <laughs> the one in the middle is the best kitten. The first one to leave is super exposed, or is the less scent if you're the first one. Fascinating. The middle is the favorite. I would think the middle. She's the like, favorite, I'm gonna bring right? the one I like. The one I really don't like, uh, I'll figure it out later. <laughs> the one I sort of like, I'm gonna bring it now to pioneer this new spot. If it looks good. I'll go get my favorite one. And then if I got time later, I'll get my least favorite one. <laughs> we should write a, maybe we could publish an academic article about this called favoritism, uh, favoritism and crassums and feline kind colorists. <laughs> or just write a children's book. <laughs> yeah, write a children's book. Children's book called Tough Luck. Yeah. <laughs> you can do little backstories on each of the kittens and be like, this is why mom picked you as the middle one. I have a picture of my daughter on my phone the other day. She's saying the reason I have her on my phone is otherwise I'd forget about her. <laughs> oh my God. Because <laughs> she's the middle. Were you like, honey, you're not wrong. 
Because she's the middle. I keep a lot of things on my phone that I don't want to forget about. Also, that's episode 220. That It's called An Elk Hunting Nudist Checks the Breeze. God, that's a good title, dude. It's called An Elk Hunting Nudist Checks the Breeze if you want to learn all about Bart George's mountain lion collaring study in Northeast Washington. It was a good title. We had a good run at just having titles that didn't mean anything. What happened? We started naming them stuff that means something. We're bowing to the algorithm. search engine optimization? Well, because now with the shows on YouTube, Uh it doesn't work to have... You can't have a name that has nothing to do with anything. Meaning, if you name something a nudist... (laughs) Or a puss in the pot. A puss in the pot or a nudist checks the breeze, you'll wind up in like a different land. Don't you think there's people that would tell you that that would have been the same case on other platforms no, prior to YouTube? No, because I resisted the idea. I, here's the thing. I, I resisted and still resist the idea. I, I know That this. people search podcasts. I don't, I, I, you'll hear people, <clears throat> some people do. I don't believe that people regularly do content searches for podcasts. Meaning, I don't think people go in and search key, do keyword searches around podcasts. Some do, but I don't think that's how. I don't think that's how people discover. I think podcasts. searching for people, maybe like certain folks. But, sure, and yeah. when we and and we would we would bow to that in some respects with our old naming convention, but now here's another thing I'll tell you. Uh, that that surprised me. The what's actually the words that we're actually saying right now actually matters for how how YouTube ser- serves. You could name it like a nudist checks the breeze, but then never talk about nudists and all that. Um, and it'll be served based on content, but the thumbnail people see is based on uh. It'll be served based on what's actually done within the show. The thumbnail people see will be what you present to them. So if you have, like if you're talking about mountain lions, mountain lions, mountain lions, it might go to a person that loves mountain lions. What that person's going to see is a nudist checks the breeze. And he'll think, why is this here? So yeah, for so this reason, am I doing a good job of explaining yeah. this, Corinne? Is this sad? Sure. So like our guests yeah. today, Donald Trump and Joe Rogan, <laughs> are talking about uh, transgender rights in uh, bathrooms. And yep. that could possibly help this episode uh, pop up in people's searches. Good job, Cal. <laughs> Nailed it. That's next level right yeah. there, man. Um, you, you satisfied with that, Corinne? satisfied with that. A uh, couple of quick things we got to touch on. The road to 2024. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> we covered roamingnomai.com. Again, probably hit that a couple more times in the future. Vegan landlords. This is a this is a uh, Chattaquette question, Chester. Hmm. Did you know about this? Well, I just read it. So yeah, yes. I know, whatever. Uh, uh, we'll cover it. He was listening to the Puss in the Pot episode. So the Puss in the Pot t-shirts came out, but they're gone already, but we didn't order that many. Are we going to order more? I don't know. They were gone in less than a day. I sunk a gaff into an octopus's arm and he got the gaff away from me and snuck off with it. Um, And I'll point out, they can lose their arm. It doesn't bother them. They just grow a new one. So then we started laughing about how that octopus probably doesn't go anywhere without that gaff. 
Snuck off with it is an interesting way to put <laughs> Pulled it. Pulled it out of my hands. We had gotten a wrestling match, and he got away with the gaff. It was a big one. But the gaff isn't barbed, so the gaff would have just fallen out. Either way, it's funny to think of an octopus now, because you know he likes he uses the gaff for everything. He's going to come yeah. back and get you yeah, out like, of that If gaff. he wants to get something out of a hole, he's like, Stand back, boys. <laughs> and he just gets that gaff out and does what he needs to do with it. You're so going anyway, to hear a little subtle tapping on the bottom of your boat. That's what we're waiting for. Someday that gaff hook <laughs> up to the bottom of my boat. And I'll be like, he's back. <laughs> uh, we made a shirt of an octopus with a gaff, but it's gone. But anyways, on that episode, we were talking about, I can't remember. Oh, we were talking about a vegan. We were talking about vegan landlords that were in the news for people which I supported the right to do this. A landlord saying, I'll rent to you, but if I rent to you, you are not allowed to cook meat. I don't like it, but I support that right. Because I generally am like, you know, I'm generally supportive of that sort of stuff. So, and, and the thing to maintain consistency in this world, it'd be like people that get really worked up about First Amendment rights only when their First Amendment rights are imperiled. But they're very slow to, to defend First Amendment rights of their adversaries. So the NCAA, no, not the NCAA. That's the basketball people. NAACP. The NAACP. <laughs> the NAACP will often defend the First Amendment rights of white supremacists. Because they're so staunchly First Amendment that they'll defend the First Amendment rights of people who'd probably like to kill them. So, uh, because I think that people should have more latitude to make, yeah, you know, like just more latitude to make these sorts of decisions around their own home and how you rent your home, I was like, yeah, okay. I don't like it, but I would never tell someone that they should have to rent a house to someone doing something like that. I don't know. I was well, just trying it on. So, so I'm not sure I'm committed. Phil, I, go ahead. I wasn't there because this was recorded in Alaska, but if I were there, I would have reminded you that in the Chetiket episode with Luke Combs, we got a question about a landlord who would not rent a home to gun owners. And I told them to lie. And you said lie and do it anyway. <laughs> well, if I heard from someone who, if I heard from someone who said, my landlord rented me a house and said, I can't cook meat. But I'm thinking about cooking some. I would say, I think that you should. Right? Sure. So I am. It is consistent. Okay. Listen, I'm not like a judge. I'm not like Judge Judy. I'm very aware, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, but like, I, just, like, that's what I'm saying. But this guy here has got a different situation, but it made him think of it, where he, I don't, he's part of the story I don't understand. He used to live in a rural area, but due to residency rules, had to move into the city. What would that mean? He, he, he. Oh, this is exactly what you're talking about. Uh, no English. What? <laughs> <laughs> you live by the Hormel factory. Uh, well, I go down there. It's like two hour drive north, south. Yeah. Okay. You, you. Yeah. When you drive two down there. hours from your home yeah. is the place where they make spam. Yep. And, and you're saying the executive pork. leadership team at spam. Yeah, in their bylaws, they have to live down in Austin, Minnesota. Yep. Okay, so this feller might have run into a similar thing because he's saying, I used to live out in the sticks, but because of residency rules, he had to move into the city. Yeah. He's in Buffalo, New York, so he's not working down there but, at Spam. 
Yeah, but what one of like while you were talking about that, if you talk to the landlord and the landlord says, "Hey, you know, no cooking meat here," is it okay just to move on to another apartment or another house? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. like that's what the landlord. Okay, cool. Oh yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I would. I, that, yeah, I would that's, think that that's, I would be in that situation where they're like, "You can't cook meat here." I'm like, "Okay, cool. Like, I'm, I'm gonna move. Yeah, I'll, I'll go find some other place. You know, yeah, or I'm gonna cook it anyway. Call the cops." Can I? Uh, I don't know. I gotta throw this out there. This is like the best article I've seen in a long time, and it it uh, really strikes me because I used to have to travel around the country with a practicing vegan, mm-hmm. and that person was obnoxious and uh, mm-hmm. was adamant that I go to these vegan restaurants in different places, um, and I always was just like, it is not worth my my money. But my assumption was that uh the experience would be a lot different than what it was and i was actually like appalled when i finally did sit down at a vegan restaurant to see all of my food terms on the menu oh yeah right yeah they steal shit from yeah i was like well what (laughs) like i'm down for a salad but you have why do you uh, act like it's bacon yeah reuben and fries and uh, (laughs) chicken, chicken fried steak so the I got to hand it to whoever wrote this article, but it's called No More Cordon Bleu. <laughs> uh, France's long-running battle over vegan food names has escalated as the government published a decree banning meaty terms such as steak, grill, or spare ribs being used to describe plant-based products. I think that's a little bit of government overreach. I love it. <laughs> if, if that's what government overreach is, I fully embrace it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, you, you know that we we covered that little dust up. I'm going to come back to the story about this guy, but we covered that little dust up where that dude. This is the weirdest thing because, oh my god, it's one story turned into another here. So we got three stories up in the air. <laughs> story one is this. Well, story one is this fella here that we're talking about who had to move to town because of the rules, okay? So hold that in your head. Story two is how is this, these French people in your situation, there's four stories. Story three is that we covered how a guy was suing Buffalo Wild Wings because their boneless wings... Aren't wings. Yeah, they're technically not wings, but whatever. Oh Buffalo God. Wild Wings retort was, am I using retort in the right way? Allow me to retort. Yeah. Yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings retort was, uh, we don't sell any buffalo. Our hamburgers are not ham. Our chicken fingers are not chicken's fingers. <laughs> so <clears throat> it should not come to you as a great surprise that our boneless wings are not wings. In this article, they're not this, Buffalo's wings either. No. Now I'm into story four. <laughs> In this article, they, they interview some dude who is like a who's made this whole issue like his axe to grind, but he's not the litigant. He's not the person suing Buffalo Wild Wings, but he's a person who believes, and they talk about him in the article that he believes they should be called saucy nugs. <laughs> and somehow he weasels his way into the article. I'm standing at a book event. I'm doing a book signing event, and there's some guy in line that looks like not like everybody else that would come to one of my book signing events. Mm, mm. Meaning most of my stuff is like 
some dude in square toe cowboy boots with like three kids because it's a children's book. recognizable demographic. But then here's this guy that I know I, I've been using a lot of people looking like Weird Al because I was talking about Gallagher, the comedian. Here's a guy that looks like young Weird Al. Comes up to me. And basically he's there to tell me that they should call him Saucy Nugs. But does not know that we discussed this on the podcast. Like this guy. Independently. Just goes to anywhere he can get an audience. Wait, he was the guy that was in the article? Yes. Oh, and he I was like, we talked guy. about this in the podcast. He had no idea. He's just, oh, I'm just. He's just, just guerrilla marketing. The word. Yeah. He's like, sounds like there's going to be a crowd. I'm going to go down there and, and, and proselytize. Raise hell about. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Really? That's amazing. Back to story number one. <laughs> but if they call them saucy nugs, then some, <laughs> Back to some three. <laughs> stoner could come in there and think that it's some ganja and sue him for that. Hold on, man. You guys call weed <laughs> saucy nugs? <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody could, yeah. out there. Oh, yeah. You, you, you want to talk about some saucy nugs? You ever see uh, Chester's <laughs> tattoo on his arm? <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Too many stories. This comes down to uh, why the FDA exists, right? Uh-huh. Like patent medicine. Oh. Okay? And that is why you cannot call a <laughs> vegan, whatever it is, sandwich, a Reuben sandwich. Yeah. Oh, I Everybody knows. Corned beef. Okay? And pastrami does not cut it as a Reuben sandwich either. Uh, yeah. That's a pastrami quick, sandwich. Before back to this guy that had to move into town. I do want to pick up what you're saying because it, it is frustrating what you're saying. And it would be like, if you're vegan, besides people that have like some kind of major dietary reasoning to be vegan, which I'm sure happens. Uh, if you eat meat, you're going to die or something. I don't know. But normally I would guess like 90%, whatever the hell, of vegans are for ethical reasons. So they have come to a position where they're saying like, I believe it is wrong to consume meat. Well, say you have a Give me another ethical infraction. Uh, I do like, I don't want to do like pedophiles. Well, th- I, that's where I went think with of, this. Okay, I got it. Oh, no, go ahead. It, it is. It's like uh, your sexual bestia- preference. Yeah, let's do bestiality. Right? Sexual preference is, is, a, is a perfect one. Like I am staunchly this way, but I happen to put things in my mouth that resemble this other thing. Mm. But don't confuse that. Because Let, this is the way I am. Let's say you have a hog fetish. <laughs> Jeepers. And you recognize Jeepers. that that is just wrong. That is not a thing. That is not a thing you can be partaking in. But then you uh, come home with a hog suit. You see where this is going? No. <laughs> is that better? So this guy. <laughs> anyway, Yaw Yang know is what here. To say. <laughs> hey guys, this is Giannis. I got a special request for you. You've heard me talk about it before, and I'm mentioning it again and asking again. But uh, I'm asking to for you guys to all help and pitch in to save that winter habitat in Vail, Colorado, for the bighorn sheep that uh, was a proposed uh, development for employee housing. And there was a big to-do there. Um, and finally, the town of Vail has figured out a way to purchase 
the uh, land from the company that was uh, proposing to develop it. And uh, now they're going to save it and basically and turn it into a conservation easement. And they're also going to conserve more land in that area. So it's actually a win-win. It went from only being 20 acres to now it's going to be over 100 acres of uh, bighorn sheep habitat for the bighorn sheep that live in the Gore Range. I was lucky enough to hunt there two years ago and killed a ram in there. I wanted to keep that secret, but this is a good reason to bring it out publicly. Um, John Hayes Taxidermy did a full mount of that sheep. And I'm going to donate that sheep to the town of Vale, and they're going to use it as a as a as a marker, as a memorial to this project, to um, forever memorialize the people and the conservation organizations. They're going to work hard to make this happen. Uh, so I'm super stoked to be a part of this, and I hope you can too. And remember, every little bit helps. Um, they're looking; they have to raise about. $3 million. That's right. You heard it right. By October 3rd, there's not a lot of time. Obviously, it's going to take some people with some big old bank accounts to kick down big. But like I said, every little bit helps. So if you just got a dollar or five or 10, I would appreciate it if you kick down towards this. If you're thinking, man, I'm not a um, Colorado bighorn sheep hunter. Look at it this way. If uh, someone else draws their tag there, they might take away that... Uh, that tag that they were trying to hunt in Nevada. Or if you are a Colorado sheep hunter, if there's more sheep here, there's more tags there. Even though you might not hunt there, it might free up opportunities for you to hunt somewhere else. Okay. So it is a win-win for everybody. Even if you're not a hunter, um, this preserves wildlife, uh, very cool wildlife in a very cool place. So if you want to help out, go to www.valebighorn.com slash ways to help. And you'll find a link where you can donate. I think it actually takes you to the Wild Sheep Foundation. Uh, they're the ones that are managing the, all these donations. And just make sure that you click on Veil Bighorn to make sure that your donation goes directly towards this project. So again, www.veilbighorn.com slash ways to help. And uh, again, for me and for the sheep, of uh, the Gore range. Help them out. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, you know when you take uh, some time to clean out, uh, let's say, like, clean out your garage, and you're like, man, how was I living like that with that place such a mess? Well, check this out. If you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then you switch over to Mint Mobile and get plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you'll be saying, how was I ever affording to do that way I did it before? It's time to switch, okay, to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater and you will cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Again, mintmobile.com slash meat eater. It's a $45 upfront payment required, which is the equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, 
It was in the 70s and then even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized I didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. I really <laughs> this guy, thought the door was open for um, uh, Yia and Yada to jump in on the, the vegan side of things, but... Oh, um, is there anything to add? I'm cutting a I, lot of stuff out, but I do got to get back to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah, like we, even with what, you know, we, 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 I actually wrote a little article uh, about it. Um, I was, I was asked once in a panel, you know, um, you know, monk sausage is something that we make at our restaurant and it's, it's an old recipe my father gave me, right? He passed it down. And, and we, you know, we, it became really just kind of popular around Minneapolis in the way we make it, you know, and there was a panelist who, you know, who, or somebody asked can, me, can a you panel. give us a brief descriptor? Uh, monk sausage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it is, um, uh, our, our recipe we use and the thing that dad showed me was, uh, 70% shoulder, uh, 30%, uh, uh, belly. And then, uh, the aromatics inside is lemongrass, ginger, garlic, shallots, fish sauce, Thai chilies. Hmm. And then, and then the, it's very important because the grind is m- coarse. It's not a lot of people. They do sausage. They're more like Eastern European style, where it's you know um, you kind of get it emulsified. Ours is more coarse because because of the fat content is so high that you actually want that fat to render. And while you're grilling it, you're not grilling it hot. You're kind of grilling it higher, so it renders. Now, yeah, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It, it renders, and, and and as it does that, Hold the on, you port, say you're not grilling it hot. You're grilling it lower. Yeah. 
Yep. Sorry. So what, what I meant high was like higher on the grill. I got you. Yep, yeah. Got yeah. You, you know, you. and, and, and you kind of let it go. And, and, you know, I, I teach my, a lot of our chefs and cooks who cook with us, they aren't, uh, a lot of them aren't Hmong. So I have to re like re um, like re-engineer their mind to be like, no, we're not cooking this. Like if it was an Eastern European style, you know, sausage this is a Southeast Asian sausage. So it's a little different. Anyways, there was a, a, a lady asked and said, Hey, you know, would you ever, uh, can I, and she's like, I'm vegan. Can you make the sausage vegan? And I, and I, I politely said to her, no, because because you you realize this is a hundred percent made out of or like yeah, seventy. The, the, this is seventy percent pork and thirty yeah. percent pork. Yeah. So 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 yeah, absolutely. But I wasn't trying to be mean to her. But then I also said to her too that there's a legacy that comes along with this. See, my father when he came to this country, he didn't have anything. You know, he didn't have land. He didn't have anything in his name. But what he did was he knew how to do this, and then he passed it to me. You know, and it was one of those things that as kids, we learn how to do it with him. And and f- for me, it's more than just some recipe where I could just change it to people's preference. It's like, no, we're, we're going to stick to this. Got it. You know, and, and so for me, it's, it runs deeper than that. And, and it, it, to me, like, there's sometimes food, and I'm, I'm a food guy, it runs deeper than that, you know, to say, oh, hey, like, let's make this vegan Reuben whatever, you know. And it's like, yeah, but I we always say with our restaurant is before. Bef- when you eat something, be curious about it. Like, why is it the way it is? And so that's where I come from, especially with this whole, like, changing it this way, changing it this way. And so that was, like, my big thing. And then a lot of the vegans got mad at me. Uh, and then, you know, when this article came out and everyone was like, oh, my gosh, like, you, you hate vegans. And I'm like, I never said I yeah. hate vegans. I have, You know, it's like I never said that. I said that we choose to make this this way and keep it this way. I mean, we have people who aren't pork eaters. And they're like, well, could you do it with chicken? I'm like doesn't taste the same you know it, it and, and to me why it's so important to me was that this is part of dad's legacy see my, my father didn't have this like he, he's not like he, my parents don't have this thing where it's like this is this land and we're going to give this to you when we pass away no he didn't but he had these recipes it's his legacy yeah and and it's like we get to carry it and we get to pass it down and so you know yeah we, we could probably talk about this forever but just this idea of like what it means to be Hmong is to carry down these legacy to carry down this, you know, these things that it's not written in a document anywhere, you know, but we carry it down from our parents and they took it from their parents. And so for me, when it became that vegan issue, I was just like, hey, this is this is where I'm at. And and then everyone just, you know, everyone on the well, internet. It's such just an got oddball me. thing, right? It's like really an inappropriate question. Mm-hmm. It's like, can yeah. you take that very unique and yep. special thing to you? Yep. And then completely change it? Yep. For my personal taste? Yeah, and that's... I mean, like, oh, again... Can you leave? I, yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I don't have any ill will toward vegans. I, I don't, too. Yeah, I think it's Give funny. Me, right. I, I like yeah. to laugh about it. Yeah, I like to laugh I, yeah. about a lot of stuff. But then, like, even with the, you know, the article you're talking about, I'm like... I'm I'm firmly... I believe in the way that you believe, where it's like, you know, like, everyone... Like, if we're going to stand for... Like, First Amendment right, you know? If if we're going to stand for that, other side... We got to, we got to keep it consistent. We got to keep it consistent, you know? And that's how I believe that. It was like, bro, go find another place to live, you know? Well, let me tell you this dude's situation. He moves to this neighborhood and they find out that he uh, hunts and they start leaving him letters. Oh boy. Even to this point, this is, I'm taking his word for it here. I don't know. This is what he said. He said he gets a letter that says, this community is vegetarian and doesn't agree um, with your hunting presence or the presence of murdered meat in the neighborhood. I'd love that's, to know the size of the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's wondering, what would you do to keep the neighborhood 
to keep things in the neighborhood civil. Man, I just can confuse if he's a hunter and stuff and why he's living there. Was that like? In... Well, how the hell would you know? I well, mean, I mean, if it's a vegetarian mm-hmm. neighborhood, I mean, you think they'd have a sign? Was it in the something. contract? You yeah. sign a renter's agreement. If it's yeah. not in the contract, oh. you should yeah, be able to eat meat. I agree with you. Yeah, if 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 the landlord made it very clear, no, like, no, this dude, I don't think this is that. Th- is he's different... just pointing out that that just happens to be where he lives. Oh, it was. So he got a letter from a neighbor saying that about the neighborhood, but uh. this is not a formal thing. Uh. Oh, yeah. So I think he's just saying, so outside of any rule break, and he's wondering sure. how do you maintain civility, mm. I would... Invite them all over for a barbecue, burgers. That's not going to work. Meat diplomacy. You could have them over for a veggie barbecue. And then uh, say, after they the eat, say, hey, let's, let's chat, because there's a little problem. I would just chat and with... if you want to try it, I have some of this freshly killed venison over here that's pretty tasty, that ate nothing but plants. I eat a lot yeah. of grilled zucchini this time of year yeah. on the barbecue. That's good stuff, you know. Chester, uh, let me tell you what I think, then I want you to say what you think, and that'll be the final word. I think that he should go about his business, but just don't don't rub their noses in it. Like you know, I mean, don't. Or is he like, hanging deer? If you can hang, you yeah. hang your deer in your backyard just as well as you can hang it in your front yard. Mm-hmm. Hang it in the backyard. Yeah, I, I'm. I would. I don't know. I would if he's getting all this these letters and stuff. There's there's not much he can do about it um, other than maybe talk to, I would probably talk to the landlord and try and have a nice civil conversation, even though they might not understand that they make the choices that they do for reasons. Mm. And I don't think I'm it has anything make... to do with the land- landlord. There's nothing about mm-hmm. renting. This is just his neighbors. Okay. He's got neighbors that are hostile to hunt. These people are not going to be appeased until he quits hunting. Okay. Well, well then, yeah, just, Keep to yourself or the people that are sending you the letters because, you know, how I don't know how many people are sending him letters and stuff. Maybe just literally try and have a civil conversation with them and be like, you you guys make the choices that you make for reasons that you stand by. And, you know, please let me make the choices that I stand by. And, you know, I won't shove it in your face. I won't be roasting a pig in my front yard. I'll cook it. I'd put a little chunk kitchen. of bloody hide maybe in their mailbox. Yeah, yeah. I was going to go like, <laughs> just, just trying to be like the burbs. Remember yeah. that movie, Tom Oh, Hanks, that Carrie is a Fisher. phenomenal movie. Um, <laughs> Try and keep it to yourself. The uh, Kill them with kindness. I'm a big, like, mm. you can just grind people down with kindness. And you kind of get satisfaction out of it because, you know, it's just, like, irksome. Yep. But they can't say anything. They can't respond. That's a good point. Oh, they'll even get send more letters. Right. But I had uh, the impression that when I was living in, in Ketchum, the neighbors across the street from me did not uh, like me for whatever reason. No idea. Um, and I was always cordial and, uh, you know, would wave when they'd pull in or whatever, but um, kind of a wide street. It's not like it was forced interaction at all. Uh, and one day I look out the window and I was always out and about working on the place, um, running a chop saw in the front yard and stuff like that, but not like, would be like normal business hours, not crazy early or crazy late. Uh, one day I look across the street and here's mom, dad, the two kids, a dog, like little nuclear family. And they have a brand new refrigerator in the box, in the back of this guy's 
pickup and they're trying to negotiate this thing out and it's not going well. Mm. And so I drop what I'm, what I'm doing, run across the street. I'm like, Hey, can I help you? And they're like, yeah, no. And I was like, ah, you really look like, can I just help and kind of force the issue a little bit in, you know, 15 seconds had the refrigerator out safely. Now it's on the ground. They have a dolly. I'm like, I can help you get it inside. And they're like, nope. And literally never spoke to me from that day forward. Really? Yeah. Just bizarre. Some couldn't, people are just that way. Couldn't so, kill them with kindness. Yeah. The moral of the story is some people are just that way. <laughs> right? It's like, doesn't matter what you do. So um, I wouldn't go out of my way to change my life, but, you know, they're miserable inside their house writing <laughs> letters and you got to understand that too. Yeah. And I've, I've learned too, man, like hurt people hurt people, you know, like mm. people that are hurt, they hurt people. Cause it's like, you have all this BS inside of you and you got to project it somewhere. And then being hurt sometimes, like they hurt people. And that's where, I mean, I've, I've learned that in my lifetime is hurt people, hurt people. And sometimes that's like the final answer. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. You know, that's, there's nothing else. Nothing you're going to do. Yeah. Nothing you can do about it until, you know, they get help or until they, you know, recognize that hurt or until they, you know, confront that hurt, you know? Uh, can, can, yeah, can you tell me how your name changed over time? Yeah. Um, so the name given to me at birth was Yeah. Yeah. So you actually can have two years in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is um, I was very sick. And in the Hmong culture, you know, sometimes they, you know, there's there's a lot to do with the namesake. Okay. Um, and so in the Hmong culture, sometimes when you just don't uh, get better, they change your name. Oh. Um, to you and, and they'll they'll say Do you know what was the I mean, did you have a specific ailment or you just weren't thriving? No, they they just said I was just sick okay. all the time. Yeah. And so um, you know, one one of the first I I guess you could saw you could say it in remedy, they'll maybe consult with the shaman and then um a lot of times they'll just say, Hey, maybe you just need to change his name. Um and actually in this case my parents gave me to my aunt and uncle, and my uncle was a deacon of the Catholic Church. Okay. And so um, they gave me to go live with my aunt and uncle. And because you weren't doing well. Because I wasn't doing well. And so. At what age? Uh, I, I want to say this is uh, when I was just um, a few months old, even. Okay. And so um, he. Since he was uh, 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 a Catholic, a deacon in the Catholic Church, he, uh, the translated, um, there's a translated Bible in, in Hmong. So, um, and in, the, in there, John the Baptist, uh, uh, the, the name translated in Hmong is Ja. So I shared this when I was here the first time. My, name's, my name is Ja in Hmong. And so he named me, uh, after renamed. John, renamed me John the Baptist. Uh, my name after John Baptist in the Hmong uh, translated version of the Bible, and I got better. And then he gave me, they gave me back to my parents. So and, and so, really, yeah. So in our culture, uh, it's sh- uh, animism, right? Yeah. So it's the belief of you know the the ancestors of the are the good spirits and they're ir- evil spirits. So when uh, Yah was young, I I you know this is from what I've learned. I bet you it was probably like, okay, we're gonna change his name because we're gonna try to trick the evil spirits who's making him sick 
to think that it's a different person. Sure. So that's the changing of the name. And so I've, I have friends who yeah. have had name changes and stuff like that. And then even, even that whole idea of like the, like what the name carries along with it and the meaning. And so my name, Yia, which, you know, Yia used to be Yia, it literally translates to iron skillet. Or a frying pan. No. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah, it's true. Really? So if you go into really? I, and I, dude, I hated it growing up, man. Dude, <laughs> yeah. being a monk, are you kidding me, bro? That is a strong man. name. Well, 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 you guys might think you might think it's cool, but not when you were cool seven now. years old yeah. and you're with all your cousins. Then like, hey, where's the year? And then yeah. they'd be like, no, him. Like, no, not him. Like, you know, you made got but, made fun so of. So it's all not time. a common name. Uh, no, not not really. It's how many years do you guys know? Not like well, a few. One here. Yeah. But but here's the deal. My youngest brother's name is Gomong, which means blessing of God. Literal translation is blessing yeah. of God. So we have a no question who the favorite kid is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's a so, callback. So we have so we have like, you know, like a like a pan, an iron skillet, and then we have blessing of God. You know, it's like, dude, come on, man. We well, know how okay. How how directly does that mean iron skillet? It's literal. Yeah, literal yeah. like it, yeah it, lugia means the iron skillet or the wok or the you know the pan you know, the frying pan yeah it, yeah i hated it, it growing up well I, okay I, can i tell you that when i got my citizenship but, i got one more question okay. though, about about the name thing. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. So i want to make sure yeah um earlier i was talking about being out on book tour when i was out on book tour i met a kid and his name was talon which i thought was a great name his mm-hmm. name's talon yeah. so clearly it's you know, the foot of a predatory bird. Yeah, it's freaking awesome. Right? Yeah. But it's a name. So when I hear Talon, because it's not a common name, mm-hmm. I make the thing that like, oh, um, that name means a raptor's claw. Mm-hmm. If I meet an Autumn, I'm like, Autumn is a name. But if she were to go to another country, they speak a different language, mm-hmm. and people are like, what does your name mean? And she would say, well, my name, my name's Autumn. It means the season between summer and winter. Mm-hmm. That might seem noteworthy mm-hmm. to someone, but then this Autumn would be obligated to say, but it's so common. No one thinks of it that way because it's so integrated into naming. Yeah. So if your name's Iron Skillet, <laughs> it's enough that people are like, hold on, your name's Iron Skillet? Or is it so integrated that it's not noteworthy? So, so the, the little translation is iron skillet, you know, or wok or whatever, you know, an iron skillet, iron pan. But my mom said the metaphorical name represents like, like an, an iron skillet and pan is, uh, it's, uh, it's a vessel you use to, to cook with. And she said that what she said to me was that it means that, uh, to, like you will be a, a, a servant of men, like in, in a good way, like not in a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, uh, to serve or to help. You know, really, but uh, yeah, but then I'm like, dude, he got blessing of God. You know, it literally <laughs> means blessing of God. You know, uh, but nah, man, it's it's one of those things. Has he lived up to it? Yeah, I mean, he's incredible. My, I love my little brother. Like, <laughs> tell, tell me his name again. Gomong or yeah, Gomong. What what do what does American buddies call him? Uh, so it's spelled K O B M O O B. That's the monk spelling. So growing up, they just called him Koob, K O O B. So they just call him Koob or Kubi. Yeah, so. And, and, t- and pronounce his name again for me. In Hmong, it's Gomong. Okay. Or sometimes we just say Hmong. So how would how would how would 
how does a how would a native speaker say your name? Very similar to what we're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. They would. Okay. I, I, yeah. I get my name butchered all the time. So when I got my citizenship, uh-huh. they asked the last question they ask you is, "Would you like to have a new name? Because you can take an like an American name." Who asked you this? Uh, the uh, the uh, immigration the, officer. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously? Oh yeah, you can get it, dude. I had in college. I had a list of like what names and all my buddies can pick. You know, and it's like. I literally, when he, when she said this and I was sitting in the office with her, I almost want to be like, Optimus Prime, please call me Optimus Prime. That would be my government name, Optimus Prime Vang. Oh, dude. man. Can you imagine getting like credit card oh. statements from Optimus Prime? You know, like, dude, that or oh. Chad. You know, something think, like that. Optimus guy, Prime opening his, his second credit. location. Yeah, I don't think he pays his credit yeah, card yeah, bills. Yeah, Optimus Prime doesn't pay credit card bills. Like, hey, MX, <laughs> Optimus Prime here. Hey, you know who um, you're dealing with? Yeah. Do you, um, know, you know what I could do to this place? Oh, dude. I no, It was that or it was like Chad or Trevor. Uh, I joked, always <laughs> joked about that, you know? Just get a good white name, a good strong did, did you know? Did you know people? Well, first off, how old were you? Oh, when I got my citizenship? It was like two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, it was, it was pretty recent. It was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just kind of waited, you know. You, you only became a U.S. citizen two or three years ago? Yeah, yeah. What, what year did you move to the U.S.? 88. So it was, it was a long way. At, at what age yeah. did you move to the U.S.? I was uh, four and a half, five. So I started kindergarten right away. So give me the basic chronology where, where and when you were born. How, yeah. Uh, like the flow. Because I know you, you mentioned the refugee yep. camp. Right? Yeah. So my parents met in uh, Bonvinai, which is a very, you know, famous, big refugee, the largest refugee camp, uh, northern Thailand. Uh, it's all, it's like 10 kilometers off the borders of Laos and Thailand. That's where a lot of Hmong people came to after the war. Um, That's where my, my dad spent Peace Corps there for four years teaching small engines what, and stuff. What year? I mean, what are the years, do you know? Uh, a while ago. Like, what what year was he there? Like, you know? Um, I, I'm not sure, but it was, it was a while. Like, probably like... How Shoot old are you? Shoot him a text, Chester. Maybe they overlapped. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually, I think Yia's Ye, family and my family overlapped in the, yeah. in the camp. When did you guys well. leave? Uh, we left in 80. Okay, yeah, and we so, left in 88. Yep. Yeah, my dad had a chance to leave early, but then he stayed. Because my dad fought in the war, and, you know, and it's, man, just to hear their stories of what they did, uh, running missions for the CIA and U.S. government, mm-hmm. you know, in northern Laos there. Y'all sent, me a, y'all sent me a great book about all those campaigns. What was that book called, y'all? Tragic Mountains. Tragic Mountains is a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah he sent me a book that details one. all those campaigns. Yeah, and it goes yeah. back and further history, too. Like, you know, w- you know, fighting with the French back in the day and just, like, you know, back. But, yeah, it was a good book. Uh, 88, we left. We landed in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, so yeah, and we came there and then we moved out to like, Wait, oh, 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 back up on one thing. your folks met as refugees. Yeah. So okay, my dad yeah. fought in the war. He escaped. Uh, my mom, they escaped. They had a horrible time. They got caught, were put in prison camps by the communists, finally escaped that. And then in 77, they met in the camp and then in 78, they got married and then they were there until 88. So 10 years they, they were there. Yeah. 10 years in the camp. Yeah, because like because the, the Hmong people were stuck because the Americans didn't want them because they're like ah oh, I don't know there's uh. the Thai government was like dude we don't like we're borders with Laos and Laos doesn't like you guys so we don't want to you know so literally it was this really awkward like even Hmong people that were born in the camp at that time were they weren't con- they're not I'm not considered a citizen of Thailand you know because I, but I was born in Thailand. So I am, but your family came from Laos. Laos. Your your yep. parents were Laos, yep. Le- born yep. Laotian. Yep. But they don't hold. I mean, there's no citizenship for them for no. Laos. Yeah. So no. do you have a second citizenship somewhere? No, no, I, no. I was just kind of 
You were like a citizenless person, huh. in a, a way, citizenshipless yeah. person. Yeah. yeah, you know. But one of the crazy things is like when I got my citizenship, a buddy of mine who you know his friend came to me is a couple years ago, and he said, "Hey, why would you want to be a citizen of America? Like right now, like America, like things weren't. You know, I mean, this is after ever. You know, like things aren't going too hot for America. Why would you want to be a citizen of America?" And I'm like, "Bro, you were born here. You know, you became a citizen when you were born here. Like my grandparents and my parents fought a war to get me here." It's a little, I feel like it was a little different for me. You know, no. like I always talk about, um, I was talking about this scene from uh, Saving Private Ryan, you know, at the end when, uh, you know, Tom Hanks character, Captain Miller, you know, he's dying and he looks at. Uh, Tom Hanks Pri- dies in the end of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert. Come on. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's and, a like, and, slow bleed out. Situation. I know that movie really yeah. devolved. Like yeah. it starts out like all this grand D-Day yeah. and then there's that, they have that. You know, it kind of centers in on that really bad German. It's like a yeah. uh, clock winding down. Yeah, and then at the he end, dies in the end. Yeah, at the end. No. Well, remember because they all died finding Private Ryan, right? And and he whispers, Captain Miller to Private Ryan whispers and says, "Earn this, earn this." And then you know, and then it goes into like the present, and he's you know, he's this old guy now that he's standing over Captain Miller's grave, and he looks at his wife, and he's an old grandpa, and he goes, "Did I live a good life?" You know, mm. and I I. I tell I tell people so Tom Hanks meaning uh, earned the sacrifice that was made absolutely yeah. and and that to me that's a it's a good haunting I have that when I got my citizenship I was I thought about my grandpa who I never met my dad's dad who died in this war and the sacrifices they made and all my some of my uncles who have passed away in the war to get us here right so f- I've learned that freedom isn't free like you might not have paid for it but somebody did. Mm-hmm. And that's and and then even understanding like the, like the Hmong like our are like some of our dads and our grandpas who fought for America before they even were given the ability to step foot in America. So they fought for a country that later on denied them. And I to me that's true patri- patriotism. That's where I think like man like that's what really wrapped in my head as I got older. I'm like I I want to be a citizen because there there comes a point for me where I'm like. What am, what am I doing with the sacrifice that was done for me? Mm-hmm. And that's why it was really important uh, for me to go through that process, become a citizen, and to be able to talk about it and to honor them, to honor their legacy, to honor who they are through. And it's as simple as through the food we make. And we get to talk about that. It's so cool. We get to travel the country. I get to do shows and talk about the legacies of you know my father, my grandfather, by the sacrifices they made for this country. And I get to talk about that. By cooking monk food. And so that's why one of the things I get really excited about. Uh, you know, I want to get back into a little bit of stuff from early in your life, but I know, I think that growing up in, I, I grew up in Michigan, yeah. spent a lot, lot of my life in Montana, a handful of other states as well. Um, I know about Hmong people mm-hmm. through the lens of hunting. Yeah. It's like, I feel like if I didn't, um, if I didn't know, oh, there's these, uh, if I didn't know that there was these avid hunters in the U.S. that that, that came from Laos as mm-hmm. refugees, like, I wouldn't know about mm-hmm. Hmong culture. I know it through the hunting lens. If you're a Hmong chef and you're bringing a cuisine around, I have to imagine that at times you need to go... Before we get to the food, let me explain that we exist. Meaning yep. everyone holds in their head, like all Americans hold in their head, like, oh, Mexican food. Yeah, it's this country to the south of us. They speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. I got the basic gist. 
Mm-hmm. But to say to most people, Hmong food, they're not the hell. I mean, yeah. most, the major, I would say the majority of people aren't going to know what the hell you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True so or not true? Yeah, completely true. Yeah. So, you know, if, you know, I, I get some crap from, I, I call them hardliner Hmong people. They're like, you aren't making real Hmong food. It's blah, 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 blah. You're, you're bastardizing our food to make money. Like, oh, I, they, I, they do that? Oh, it, dude. Like, yeah. Holy it's, cow. Well, yeah, that's, oh, that's, that's not, that's yeah, not, it, a, you're not suffering that alone. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Every, <laughs> every, you know, every culture has that, right? Your own people kind of like, what? You know? So one of the things I say within our restaurant, we have this mantra we always say. We say, every dish has a narrative. If you follow that dish long enough and close enough, you get to the people behind the food. And once you're there, it's actually not about food. It's about people. That food is a cat catalyst into cultivating great relationships. So that's why I ask people every time you eat a food and you go, Hey, I want to change it or it should be changed this way. You know how we were talking about, I always go, Hey, ask yourself why it was made like that. Because if you follow the story, you follow those crumbs, I bet you, you get to the people. And once you get there, you get to know their story. And then it opens your eyes of saying, this is why the food is done this way, you know? And so I grew up not wanting to cook Hmong food. I, I didn't want to be a cook at all, dude. I, I went to school for all this stuff. Like I, I graduated college with a degree in interpersonal communication, a minor in PR and marketing. Like I, I wanted to run as far as I could from What food. does interpersonal communication mean? Uh, so you work with a lot of, it's uh, kind of one-on-one from when you major in that, you can go to grad school, you can do, uh, you can teach it and then you can work uh, like doing counseling, you oh, know, see, yeah, yeah, counseling, you know, therapy, you can do all that, you know, Got after it. that. Uh, but were you, you were raised eating Hmong food? Oh yeah, dude. Like, yeah, like that, that was it. That's what mom knew how to cook. And that's what we ate. And it was incredible. But Did you think I, burgers were good? Yeah. But at the end of the day too, I'm a Wisconsin boy, right? Mm. So Culver's, you know, double cheeseburger, <laughs> butter burger from Culver's. Come on, man. Like, you know, like cheese curds. I, I ain't mad at that, you know? You know, yep. so yeah. Makes a what's that saying? Makes butter burger better? Like, yeah. Call, <laughs> better brand of beef. Yeah. yeah. Better <laughs> brand of beef makes yeah. butter burger better. Yeah. So like, I, 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 growing up, it was like, yeah, do you like Hmong food or do you like American food? Or, or the Hmong word for American is Mika. And like, do you like Mika food or do you like American food? And I'm like, yes. Like, I could like both, right? <laughs> What's Mika mean? Mika means Hmong. It's, it's the, it's the Hmong way of saying American. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I, I thought it was like an abbreviation. Yeah, it's, like no, a, it's like a shortened version. Yeah. Though. Yeah. So, so, so our parents couldn't say American, you know, yeah. but in their accent and alliteration, it came out Mika. So yeah, Mika. Yeah. So, so, so when, so when you're around Hmong people and you hear da, 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 Mika, they're probably talking about you guys. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. So when, when, uh, okay. I, I just want to understand the relationship between yeah. Hmong food and American food yeah. pr- for a prior generation. Mm-hmm. So your parents, mm-hmm. um, had a long history in in their home country. Yep. Were they uh when you were a kid and you guys went out, if kids are like, hey, I want to go to McDonald's. Yeah. Did they embrace that? Or were they reluctant to get into that because it would mean that it would take you down this path of of moving away from Hmong food, moving away from Hmong culture? Or were they like down with America? Not not down like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that comes out wrong. <laughs> they, you know, did they embrace sort yep. of like fast food culture or did they resist it because it would be a forfeiture of culture? Yeah, I mean, I think my parents, it was survival. Mm. It wasn't like, hey, like, so right now I get this great opportunity to talk about the in-depth understanding of Hmong food and what it represents. 
my parents growing up, it was like, how do we work our job that we're getting paid eight bucks an hour and how do we provide for our family? Yeah. So it wasn't like they had this moment of like, oh, like, let me think about how our food can influence the way that our kids think about our culture. No, it was like, what can we scrounge around to survive? So sometimes if it's a buck 99 Happy Meal yeah. at McDonald's back in the day when it was buck 99, remember that boys? Uh, you know, like. Then that was it. Yeah. Some days, you know, um, you know, some days it's like if some noodle dish, some blinkyard dish or whatever, you know, like, and then they had to make it work with the, you know, with the garden and they just pull stuff from the vegetables from the garden. Then that was it, you know, but what, what I get to do is I get to look back on those moments because I have the privilege now to look back and think about that. I have the privilege to dissect and break down the thoughts of like how this, what this food represents for our people. Because they sacrificed and they worked so hard for for me, you know. And so, yeah, I I, I don't think that, you know, because I think that we, we do a lot of shows and stuff like that. And I think that there are editors and, you know, producers who want to give me this, like, this, like, beautiful, like, and you know, Netflix chef's table. Kind of like, you stood there with your mom and you guys made sticky rice together. And I'm like, dude, it wasn't like that, you know. <laughs> like, there's not that, you know what I'm saying? Where it's yeah. like, all chef has is, like beautiful story of like sitting with grandma and she's teaching you how to make whatever. It's like, no nah, man, like they were hustling all the time. Like, you know, we ate instant ramen, you know, we, we, ate, we ate, you know, I learned how to cook fried eggs with tomatoes, you know, and stuff like that. Those were the things we did. There's nothing sexy about it. It was tough. We lived on food stamps, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it was like, I got but like, man, like to me, I feel so blessed to be in a position where I am, where we get to interact with, people who value food at a very high economic level, you know, where it's like they're willing to pay a lot of money for food. And we also get to tell this incredible story that comes along with it, you know. This show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stressors, big ones, little ones. When you keep these things bottled up, it can start to affect you in a very negative way. Well, therapy is a great space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Like, figure it out. That means figure it out with someone who's impartial, who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no there's no such thing. It's like you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind, okay? Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash eater today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients 
are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Did your folks raise food when you were growing up? You talk, uh, about, you talk about having a garden. Yeah, man. You know, you understand anything about Hmong people. We, my, so right now, my parents, you know, they're in their 70s. They're retired. They have a 10-acre farm, right? She, my mom calls it a little garden, but it's 10 acres, and everything they grow every year, they harvest it and bring it over to the restaurant. So, yeah, and that's what it Seriously? is. Seriously? Oh, dude. Yeah. Like, so your restaurant serves food that your folks raise? Oh, absolutely. That's, that's, that's the whole so, point of the yeah. restaurant. Like, you know, like yeah, what... Yeah. You know, uh, we just got done with the state fair, you know, so, so Minnesota state fair is huge. It's like this year they had 1.8 million people walk through in 12 days. Right. And so my mom makes these galapal or they're these steam buns. Right. So she, she makes these steam buns, a family tradition. And this year we sold a, a little bit over 23,000 of them. And so my mom and my aunt and three church, uh, four church ladies made 23,000 of these, you know, steam buns. And that's, I mean, that's, my mom has this thing where she says, um, I don't know business. I don't know math, but my hands have been taking care of you for the last four, almost 40 years until the day I die. I will always take care of you. If my hands can make it and I can produce it, I will do it for you. You know? And so it's like when you hear it's stuff like that, bro, oh, when you yeah. hear, when you hear stuff like that, how can you not, not keep talking about them, you know? And so mm. like, I get super emotional about it, but like, man, it's like, no quit. She's in her seventies. No quit. She's out working half our chefs. You know, and I love it. And, and and it's not something where I asked her to, but she's just like, this is what we do. This is how we help each other. This is what we do. And that's what I love about our culture. You know, there's no quit. It is, if, if, we, if we come together, we, we can, you know, we can accomplish more. Dad told me that the Hmong culture, in the Hmong people, what happened was hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there's always this argument between the 18 clans, right? Who is the rightful like uh, clan name to, to be, to lead these people, right? So it's like this fight. It's like Game of Thrones style, right? It's yeah. like, what clan should be the, you know, is the direct line for the first Hmong empire? And, you know, there's, they didn't argue about this what, for What clan are you? I'm a, I'm a Vang. Okay, yeah, so yeah. you're so, the Yang yeah, clan, Vang yeah, clan. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like Game of Thrones, whatever kind of deal. And Which uh, clan is better? 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I see so, the Yangs. Yeah. The Yangs yeah. Everyone always. Yeah, but but that's how it is. Yangs Every, are better. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I, I just heard from y'all. you. You got it. You win. <laughs> you know. Um. But 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 what? I mean, Dad said that during the war, during the genocide of our people. So you have to realize that in the mountains of Laos, there's about three hundred thousand Hmong people that live there. Through the genocide of the Hmong people after the war in 1975 there, about 55,000 Hmong people were killed, just slaughtered. So think about that. 55,000 to 60,000 Hmong people killed and 30, there was about 300,000 people there. And he said it got so bad that the 18 clans came together and said, we can't fight anymore about which clan should be the number one. We have to unite. And if we don't unite, our children will never be free. They will live in war. And dad said that they made this commitment. The 18 clans made this commitment to each other. He says, no more will we fight. We have to come together. And, you know, I always say that if you want to know our food, you have to know our story, right? And it's kind of what you were asking me. And I always say that our cultural DNA is intricately woven into the foods that we eat as Hmong people. And I asked my mom, what, what's the best way to describe Hmong people to people who have, or Hmong food to people who haven't eaten Hmong food before? And she said, balance. Because you look at Hmong food, we have four basic elements always on the table. There's a rice, there's some kind of protein, there's a vegetable, and sometimes that vegetable is in a broth, and then there's a hot sauce. And she said, out of all those four elements on the table, one is never better than the other. Because we need all of them together mm-hmm. to, to make this complete meal. So I always get asked, what's your favorite Hmong dish? I'm like, I can't talk about, you know, the, the grilled uh, uh, pork that my dad taught me how to make to grill over a fire. I can't talk about that without talking about the sticky rice. Well, well I can't talk about the sticky rice unless I'm talking about the guatzal, which is, you know, the, the pepper sauce. And, man, the Hmong mustard green we have that, you know, that, that mom grows in her garden has this bite that cuts through the porkiness and the fattiness of the pork. So you need that, too. So I can't talk about one dish. It's all about a combination of one. And, you know, in the last few years of me being able to do the show Feral for uh, Outdoor and being able to meet all these different people, I've really learned that the Hmong mentality when it comes to life and food, it's basically conservationism. It is this idea that everything's on a balance. It's an ecosystem. If one thing goes wrong, like, for example, like if the, if the sticky rice, yeah, yeah, knows what I mean. If the sticky rice is not on the table, it's like, you don't start eating. It's like, nah, man, we need the rice there first. You got to hold off. Yeah. And yeah. We help, we used to like, we used to forget about putting the pepper, the hot sauce on there. And my mom would stop dinner and we would quickly make it and then put it on the dinner before it, it, it comes together. And it's this idea that this is, this is an ecosystem. Everything needs to work. And that's what I think about monk food. And when I talk about the philosophy of monk food. That's what I'm talking about, you know. So in the most in the most basic sentence level way, yeah. How do you? What would you say? Like, what is Hmong food? Yeah. So I always say that Hmong food isn't a type of food; it's a philosophy of food. Okay. You know, and what is that philosophy? It's the philosophy that we live in a living world around us, and using the living world around us to make uh, food that nourishes our soul and brings our community together. And so the great thing about Hmong food, and this is what I love, and I'll get pushback from some of the hardliners, is that Hmong food is not, it's represented of what regions we're in. So we're scattered all around. Did you know that in 1980, 600 Hmong people resides in Missoula? They came I knew here. that. Yeah, they started in Missoula. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was yeah. going to say, they, they domin- famous for their gardens. Yeah, they dominated the farmer's, farmer's market. market. Absolutely, yeah. because we are people of, you know, the ground, you know. Uh, the yeah, Chinese- but I feel like a French person that lives in the French mm-hmm. countryside if you, mm-hmm. I said, like, what is traditional French food? Mm-hmm. They could say the sentence you just said. Yep, absolutely. I, now, so I'm saying there's got to be another way to describe Hmong food. Well, I what I, I what I talk about with Hmong food is that, like, like our story is involved in it. So, for example, my dad always said to me, no matter where you are in the world, wherever you go, if you find another Hmong person there, you always find family. 
So the, the kind of, you know, what we talked about in the beginning, right? Like, yeah, if I, like, I go to Idaho somewhere and I see another monk family, I'm like, whoa, what's up? You know, and, but we share that same history, right? Um, th that's what happens when you have a country, you don't have a country of your own, right? And so I would say that if you want to talk about flavor profile, our flavor is representative of Southeast Asia. So, you know, you got, you know, you got your lemongrass, you got your gingers, you got your, you know, garlic, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, you're kind of like the weird cousin to like Lao Thai Vietnamese mm -hmm. food, you know, you know, a little bit of that. But I think that what, if you really want to get to know Hmong food, you have to know the Hmong people regionally because there's Hmong people that live out in Fresno, California. There's people that live in Boca Raton. There's people that live in Little Rock, Arkansas. You know, so they're and all are, are you, do you see manifestations of like where the where those regions have bled into the culinary tradition? Absolutely. Because so the thing I wanted to ask you about is when your folks like because mm -hmm. you, your folks grew up in proximity, no doubt, to raising food and, mm -hmm. and sourcing food. Mm -hmm. Um, all of a sudden you wind up on another continent. Mm -hmm. Just just the climatic mm -hmm. with gardening, food that's available, right? Uh, you had to have. They had to have been forced in some way to lean, right, to, to lean into this whole new way of trying to achieve something that made sense to them. Absolutely. From an ingredient standpoint, Absolutely. Right? And I love the fact that they did because it's all about advancing our people. Uh -huh. You know, so uh, in April, I got a chance to go back to Laos. Uh, and I actually, uh, I was with a production crew. We, we did this, you know, we filmed this little uh, doc series. And I, I actually went to the village that my mom was born in. Hmm. Okay, and and I found out that I have a hundred years of our our family lineage comes out of that village, and I went to the exact same spot. Are there the, still Hmong in that village? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? They came back after the war. Yep. Oh, yep. I see. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So 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 the Hmong people who couldn't escape, they just came back and lived in the mountains, and they just kept quiet, you know. And so I, I'm I'm here in this village, and I'm standing on the. What's the name of the village? Um, um, Bon. Is that, I think I think it's Bonsan right now because it, it didn't have a name. But it, it, uh, the government named it with the, the, uh, there's like this little river that comes by. And so they named it Ban. Ban in uh, Laotian and Lao, it means uh, village of, you know. Okay. So San is the name of the uh, river. And, and it's in the mountains. And when I say it's in the mountains, like you're in a car, you're in a four wheel drive car, you're driving through the treacherous mountain for about, for, I don't know, you're about three, four hours to get there, you know. There's nothing up there, you know. And there's, a, there's, you know, people that live up there. And I remember standing on the plot of land where the house, that my mom was born in the little You're hut. kidding me? Yeah, dude. And 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 to find out that it was a hundred years, like my great grandmother was a shaman in that village too. You know, so like it's like our family is connected to that village. I'm so your mom at. had to she had to explain like here there. No, my mom wasn't there with me. It was like another cousin of theirs that lived in uh, in Pansavan in, in in Laos that kind of took me up there and says, really? "Hey, we found." Yeah, it was it was kind of like one of those things. I'm a late processor. I don't know about you guys, but like, I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is cool. And then I remember flying back from, uh, uh, from, you know, we flying back, it's like 30 hour flight back. And I'm like, just sitting in my plane seat and I'm just like tearing up and I'm like, it was to hit you. yeah, I'm like, what's, what's going on? What's going on? You know? And it starts hitting me like, dang, like, and mom's never been back there ever, you know, in like almost 70 some years she was born there. She was born there, you know, and they had to like escape right away. They had to leave. You know, because huh. it was like, like you know, and so I, I was, I was standing there, and, and I'm watching all of this, and I go, "Wow!" Other people, there's people living there. Yeah, there yeah. is there. It's people village. living in that spot. Yeah. yeah, and and I was watching the way that they make the food and stuff, and man, it still carries a little bit of like, there's these flavor tones and these notes that still carry. But if you go to those villages, their technology is barely past the Bronze Age. For real, mm -hmm. like you go in, it's just all like you know they. It's very, very primitive, but the way they do things, I loved it. 
you know, because I'm watching them do things and I'm like, bro, I'm like bringing that technique back like that. And I, I felt like, you know, I've never been to Laos before, right? But I felt like the best way I explained it was, it was like going to a home that you never been to, but you still feel at home there. Yeah. So that's how I felt up there. I was like, dude. And, and it was, for, you know, seeing your own people there. And it was funny because like, I'm a bigger dude. So I don't look like most Hmong kids, you know? Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So a lot of times, like, I was there. They didn't think I was Hmong because the crew we were with had Lao, Thai, and, you know, you know, like, white people. And so they were just, like, they just thought I was one of the other helpers. And then I started speaking to Hmong and them. And they're like, what? You know? And I... Did, was, was it clear to them? You know, yeah. I don't know if... Yeah, if you deal with this, but, like, I get... Like, I... I work with like a lot of non-Hmong people. So when I do speak Hmong, I go, when I go home, right, you know, with mom and dad and then I, I'll speak Hmong, but I don't speak Hmong, you know, like daily a lot, you know? And, and I was really nervous. I was like, shoot, because like the OGs up there, man, they will wreck you if your Hmong is like, you know, like if your Hmong isn't good or if you have the wrong accent, they're like, dude, you're a stupid kid. Like don't even say that stuff to you. Like, you know, Yanni yeah. says something similar about, uh, we were having a conversation recently where the Latvians in America police the Latvian. But then you go to Latvia, they just want to talk English. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they want to practice English. It, it's you. rough. And when I got there, there was something inside of me. I don't know if it was like flight or flight inside of me that I started just speaking Hmong. And I, I did some of the translation part of the show. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually doing a lot better than I am. You know? Can you, can so, you yeah. give us a sense of what Hmong uh, sounds like? Uh, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, just like, can you just say, um, I don't know, say some stuff? Just to give a sense of what the language sounds like for people. Uh, like, I'm guessing most people have not heard Hmong. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to talk about the white people at the table with y'all, that's <laughs> we can. fine. That's fine. Yeah, like I'm here with a bunch uh, of white people talking about the Hmong. Uh, I don't even know how to start it. It's so weird. Uh, I don't know. I'll okay. just say, okay. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 How much overlap is there with, I'm a little ignorant on the yep. language structure. There, is there Laotian? There's, there's like a, there's, there's Laotian. Yeah. And, there's, and oh, is yeah. that the native language is called Laotian? Yeah. Lao. Yeah. Okay. okay Lao. Is, yeah. is there a lot of overlap or not a lot of There's overlap? a few words, a few words. But they're generally, they're like distinct. Yeah. So yeah. for example, like the word burrito is not an English word, right? Sure. It's a Spanish word, but it's part of the. English language, we say burrito, burrito, yeah. right? Well, you can there, play it in Scrabble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But in Hmong words, there, there's a few words that, I wouldn't say overlap, but it's like our, be, just because our cultures like are right with each other, they they use different words. Like like when I was in Laos, um, bathroom, and Hmong word is hona, that's bathroom. But for the Lao word is honam, you know? So it's like a little but bit that of would be an That would be an example of a similarity. Yep. Oh, um, you. Yeah. you know, uh, yeah, so, or, so or stuff the like word, that. Uh, the word "go" like yeah. uh, bye, bye. Yeah. bye. That's that's um, like I've I've learned that that was yeah. uh, that's Thai. Yep, so. got it. So Thai, Lao, uh, you know, and even even a little bit of Vietnamese, like they share, like culinary wise, they all kind of share the same kind of word, right? Uh, even a little bit of Chinese, you know, um, like the steam bun, you know, like the Chinese steam bun is called bao, but the 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 Lao Thai and Hmong version of it is galabao. Oh, you know, because okay. you have the word bow at the end, you yeah, know? So, yeah. so like, there's all these little, like, you know, I don't want to say that they're crossovers, but there's like, you, you, you pull from each other, right? Again, yeah. like, like I, my, my example is always the word burrito. Right? When I tell, sometimes I told, I told this guy once a burrito isn't in, he goes, no, no, that's like an American word. And I'm like, bro, burrito is not an American <laughs> word. Okay. And I like, I had to explain to him. He's like, what? I always thought it was like an American thing. I'm like, 
stop, like stop, you know. Could, but could, you know, like kind of like that. Could you guys understand Thai? I no, I don't speak no. Thai. No, no, no. We it, it, it's it's all and you know, growing up like yeah, you grow up with, yeah, like I don't know. I grew Hmong up with, is its total yeah. its own totally different language, and, and yeah. our our language has eight tones to it. So it's our language is completely tonal, right? So here's here's a funny one I always tell people. So when you don't know something, you this say, isn't related to the number of clans. No, no, no tones no, in your language. So for okay. example, like when I say, I don't know, like you know the word I don't know is guchipo, you know. But if you do it with the wrong tone, guchipo, which means I smell like fart. <laughs> you know, oh, no so, shit. Yeah, uh. yeah. Well, yeah, fart. Uh. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 so so it's like that. So it's like when when I have white wow, friends, what, are, what a minefield, man, dude. Like <laughs> when to I learn the language bro, for someone else. The you thing know? is, when you have white friends, they're like teach me among the phrase, and I'm like, okay, but if you say it in the wrong tone, you're gonna totally say something horrible. Like, what? What do you mean? And then it's always like. It sounds the same, right? And I'm like, no, dude, you just said you smell like fart. Like, you know? Yeah, Steve, Steve, wow. the, um, um, the, the, the written form of the Hmong language mm -hmm. wasn't actually uh, created by a Hmong person. It was created, it was founded by a French priest. Yeah. So he came into, and I shared this a little bit when I was first here, he came into um, that, that region, worked with the Hmong, Understood the language, learned the language, and came up with the written version of it in using uh, English early, letters. Yep. Yes, using English. And tried letters. to dance around the tone issue. Oh, he figured a way yeah. to oh, he, he, yeah. he found capture the tone. He, he figured a way to to, to capture the yeah. tones, and he created this in uh, the early forties. Yeah, you just yeah. add a lot more words. Uh, more clarifying, yeah. 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 By which I mean, <laughs> well, like what what was incredible with what he did when he took our language from an oral history to a written history is he didn't realize what he did was he changed history for our people. So in our culture, everything's oral, right? So it's like you tell a story and the next person tells that story and they have to keep it to exactly the T, right? You can't divert from it because for us, like, for example, like my father would always tell us like two, uh, like two fathers making a deal. It was, you just said it, you have people witness to say it. And then you shook your hand and that was it. It wasn't like we write a contract and we sign it out. So in our culture, our your word means everything. Being a man of honor, being a person of honor, being a person of integrity, that means everything. You keep to your word. You say, I'm going to be here on Tuesday to help you. I'm going to be here on Tuesday to help you. There's no contract that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. That's our culture. When the French priest came in and said, hey, I'm going to put this into written form, he changed our world because... Before, the way that we would tell our history is you hand it down from generation to generation. One father talks about his father that who taught them a story from his father, right? Our elders right now, they are elders that are in the 70s and 80s that are passing away. They're, they are our historical archives. Inside their minds hold our history. As they are passing away, our history is going with them. Mm -hmm. So there's a project that we're, I'm working on uh, saying, how do we record this? How do, how do we write these things down? How do we film this? How do we record this? Because the idea of just writing something down for our people was so brand stinking new in yeah. the 50s. It was like, it's not going to adequately you, capture it. Yeah. yeah. But, but what it does is you were able to record history. Like, for example, my father, when he came to this country, the, he, he, he had to make up a birthday because he didn't know when he was born. So he chose January 1st is his birthday. A lot of Hmong, Just the first date that came to my mind. Well, a lot of Hmong, if you look at a lot of refugees and immigrants from Southeast Asia at the time, January 1st is what they use. Because it was the most simplest, like, hey, this is the day. You know, and then he was asked to give a signature. But they're going off the Gregorian 
calendar and not the lunar calendar, well, but they just knew that it was it, a day. No, they just did that because yeah. because of the NGO workers that were in these refugee camps. It goes, well, January 1st, that's the first of the year. Yeah, I got it. And yeah. so that's what they did. I mean, and then it was, then he had to learn how to sign his name. And by like, at the point, because he didn't have to, but now when he signed his name on those documents, like it was literally what he said was, um, the, the, uh, NGO worker wrote out my dad's name in cursive. And then my dad put a paper on top and he traced it. So dad had to learn how to write in English. The first thing he wrote was his name to sign his name on those documents for our family to come here. Yeah. It changed the course of history for his family and changed the course of history for me. So like, to me, writing is very important. And, and, and how it preserves our culture, that's very important. Because anytime we need information, what can we do? We go on our phone and we, you know, what, I don't second think, like reading, I don't think about much about it. It's like, oh, I read. My parents can't uh, read English and they can't speak English. And so growing up, when we went to doctor's visit, eight-year-old year had to be the translator. So I would imagine. Oh, how, really? Yeah. Imagine yeah. how awkward it is, is you go into the doctor's office and you have to translate about your mom's health issues somewhere on her body to the doctor. And then the doctor had to tell you these other things about some infection, whatever. And then you had to explain that at his eight year old. We did that growing up. That's what we did. And we, I just thought that was normal, but it's incredible about like the reading and writing and how that changed the course of history for our people. I purposely text my dad in Hmong Mm -hmm. just to, to keep up with, uh, you know, uh, the the reading and the writing I learned because I learned how to read and write it. Is there a Hmong keyboard on an iPhone? Uh, no, no. We're, we're gonna talk because to, it uses. It we'll uses talk to Apple regular, about that. Yeah, <laughs> it uses the alf, you know yeah. the regular English use, alphabet. Yeah. you know alphabet, and so if you know the eight tones. Oh, so yeah. the the Hmong, there's no Hmong alf. There's no no Hmong it, no no, no yeah, the, the, yeah. the French it's all phonetic. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's all English well, letters. It's, yeah, it's not phonetic because if if I wrote some stuff out here mm-hmm. and you read it, you it wouldn't it'd be gibberish. Right. So if you didn't know kind of the conventions of the language in order to use so the alphabet. using the letters as symbols, but it's not phonetic. Um, it's not phonetic, but you're using the letters as the Roman, indi- indicators yeah. of what, you know, like yeah. for example, the last letter in the word, if I wrote out a word, the last letter indicates what tone you're supposed to say that mm-hmm. word in. Okay. Well, let me, let me, let me hit you with, let me hit you with this. You see... I'm using this this conventional QWERTY keyboard or whatever. I'm, okay. I'm using like these letters, yep. the, the the English alphabet, and I put down A, mm-hmm. okay? And you see A. What do you see when you see A in, in with your Hmong brain? That's, a not, that's not a Hmong word. Yeah. Then. Okay, but I'm saying the letter. Uh, I, I guess I would go with, um, I, I would start, it would start out as kind of phonetic. So I would say um, you're trying to get ah. Yeah. A. Ah. Oh. Is, okay. Ah is yeah. for A. Yeah. Yep. All right. I thought you meant maybe that they were. It doesn't matter what I thought. I thought you meant that it's like they use these symbols but assign them totally different meanings. Uh. No. Okay. No. It, no. I think it, it's it, like it's, if it's, you wrote out dog, but then at the end of dog there was an S, and then you wrote out dog, and then there might have been an R. You might say dog one way that means one thing with totally. the S, yep. and then you might say dog he's, with he's the right. R a yeah. different totally, way. Totally. And it, yeah. He's right. Something else. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then and then he's don't right, forget man. don't forget that in the Hmong language we also have two dialects too. Yes, you know? correct. So Eight you have tones, a, two dialects. Yeah. Well, sometimes three because if you like the Hmong Yalana, <laughs> they have their own yeah, dialect too. Yeah. Then the Hmong Shua, they have their own dialect too. But yeah, but basic Hmong, there's two dialects. You have your white and your green, you know, or blue, because the Hmong word for green and blue is the same word. Jua, which means blue and green. 
Huh. I got a couple yeah. questions. Okay, here just we go. Just putting Please. that out there before we get too late. Deep well, now, I'll tell you what I was going to ask. You just weave this in. I was going to ask, when you went to that <laughs> village, did they have air guns and did they hunt and whatnot? Uh, yeah. Oh. No, no, Yanni's got questions. You want to go there? No, or, this I just was going to have you throw it into the mix. Oh, real quick one about birthdays. Mm-hmm. Like Prior to having a birthday mm-hmm. or like picking a date, did, did they celebrate some sort of version of our birthday? Like, did the Hmong celebrate that before... Being Americans, annual milestone of some sort. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I, oh, go ahead, bro. I I would say it, even if they did, it probably wasn't um, like how we do it here. Mm-hmm. Um, no big cake. It's yeah, it's it's like a big <laughs> <Candles>. deal. <laughs> no <laughs> cake and candles. The mountains of Laos, candles aren't like the number one priority to buy. It's like oh hey, we have thirty cents. Candles. That's where we're going. And you know, yeah. you know, uh, the, for the longest time, I, I you know. I would say that I don't even know my true birth date, yeah. right? It was kind of just something that was given to me, right? And so, and so they kind of go by, oh, actually, if you, yes, our parents, they'd be like, oh yeah, you were born in this time frame. It's like a like, guess. Yeah. The same thing with my mom. You don't know your, di- you don't know your actual. Well, date. I, I, I like I, job the one application that, yeah. time yeah, 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 or yeah. school. He's got a government birthday. Yeah, I, yeah, I have right. one, yeah. but is that really truly the day? I, yeah. I, I so you just I, you know if you were born in the spring or the fall. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, more true, like it's true. more of like a guess. It's like yeah, yeah this. It's, What's it's really funny like, though, this is exactly like talking to my mother. She'll be like, "Well, you're di- you're born in calving season." Yeah. Well, you know, kind of it's like, the, it's like the harvest kids. season. Like, you know, like Steve was fishing game. walleye when you were born or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I do want to hear about like the proteins, like the, the yeah, cooking side. Yeah, yeah. So not a lot of fish. Um, I guess specific to your, it, it, your region. It depends. Oh, like for, for our restaurant or like just no, for Hmong food in general? I guess Hmong food in general. No, it depends. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of our people are mountain people. So it's what you get from the mountains, you know, and then, you know, if there's streams and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you get, you know, little fish, you know, and stuff like that. But it's not, you know, we're, we're not, we're not like, you know, we're not in the lowlands by, you know, the ocean. So it was like, like, so the idea of shrimp and different kinds of octopus and stuff like that and crabs and, you know, that's really later on, you know, mm-hmm. because that's kind of like the high life. Like, and, and when I say in the mountains, dude, I'm talking about like the reason why in 1980, there's 600 monk people that ended up in Missoula was like, they love the mountains because they just want to be left alone. That's like our people has been like, we want to be left alone. We want to be farmers. That's all we want to do. And so for them to, for, for, for them, it was like when, if you go to a city, it was like back in, you know, back in the day, in my mom's times, they were said it would be like a five to six hour walk that you would just trek down the mountain. And then you, you know, you sell some vegetables and you get enough money to buy salt and then you just trek back up mm-hmm. and you'll use that salt, you know, and, and, and then it's like, when you get down there, you're like, whoa, you see these shrimp and crab. And it's like, wow, just to have one would be incredible, you know? And so. But again, a lot of that changes with our people changing, you know, as some Hmong people came down from the mountain and started living in the lowlands. And then even us being here in America, you know, and, you know, I mean, I love seafood and, you know, but normally you don't, you don't see that. It's, you know, it's a heavy pork, a lot of small games and a lot of vegetables, a lot of, uh, broth, you know, a lot of, uh, soup, a lot of stew. Um, and if you want to go old school, I mean, it's a lot of the meat is actually uh, jerkied, basically, you know? Like, they, 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 they season it real hard, and then they hang it, and they have a fire inside, they hang it, and it's so cool to be in these villages and see them still using this technique. 
and they hang it from the top and they dry it. And then you take the meat out when you're done. And what the meat really is, is it's a flavoring to your soups and your stews. And oh, your I got it. Yeah. yeah it's used conservatively. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Did you still see some, uh, did you still see some hunting going on when you went back? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were hunting like these like little small squirrels and, you know, uh, lizards, you know, like monocle lizards and it's just anything that the, the jungle provides, you know, and that's like, that's the thing I love about being Hmong and that's what, why. Was I, the hunting deliberate, meaning like you were going out or was just that you would encounter stuff throughout um, the day of raising your crops and it, traveling it, around? So again, I, <laughs> in every culture, it's like the idea was like, hey boys, you want to go? Okay, cool. Let's go. You know? And so like, sometimes it's literally like, hey, let's go out. Or a lot of times, dude. One of my favorite scenes where we went was f- they weren't Hmong, they were Lao, but there were like five or six of them. They have scuba gear on. They had a little like a little gear set, and they jump in the river with little spear guns, and they would go spear like in the river. They go and they would go spear um, little tilapias, oh, okay. and they came out. and They freaking look like a bunch of Navy SEALs coming out of the water, and these these like little like uh, you know these uh, Lao kids, and they all have little spear guns, and then just fish on the other hand. And it was the most ba scene ever, standing on the river, and I'm like man, you would kick the crap out of any American kid. You know, I'm like, <laughs> if North Korea ever attacks, I want you on our team, you know? And and so, it, I mean, that's that's what it is. It's a lot of times it's the when you're a little, you know, when you're growing up, especially with the boys, it's like, you go out with dad, you go out with your uncles, you learn. They have little like snares and stuff they set up and, you know, and then, you know, you follow grandpa and you go and grab the snare and see, oh, look, they got a squirrel today or whatever, you know? And yeah, and so it... It was just part of the repeat. I mean, like we went and we even caught bats, you know? And so we ate bats and people were, you know, freaked out. They're like, oh, why would you do that? I'm like, you have to understand, we don't have a Whole Foods out here. Like we have a whole jungle and you just get what the jungle provides for you. How'd they you know? catch, how they target bats? Uh, so, so you figure, like they figure out a bat cave, you know? Okay. Um, and, and then uh, during the night, the bats will fly out. Uh, and so like 6.30, bats fly out, and they just put up a big net and just catch all the bats in there. And Coming then, back into roost? Uh, well, when they're leaving. They're, they catching leave. them on, they're, they're catching them as they leave. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah they just I leave. And then they come back at like 6 in the morning. So it's like you know that it's like a million of them, and you put on net, and they get all caught. And, you know, and then you, uh, you, know, you braise them, and you eat them. Yeah. It was you just braise the hair right off of them. Oh, well, they throw it over the fire to kind of char the hair yeah, off, yeah, and yeah. then they don't cut it out. You know, there's no, you know, yeah, whatever. And then yeah. guts and all right into the yeah. pot. And then and then you they stick it in the bamboo actually, and they so they season it with like garlic, ginger, you know, you know, and all that stuff. And then they put it in a bamboo, and they close the bamboo off with. I mean, um, put it in there like a container. The bamboo, yeah, yeah like the, yeah, as yeah. a container. And then they put a little water in there, and then it, that becomes a steaming vessel, and they throw that water over the fire. So bamboo oh, is like oh, that's awesome. Dude, like cooking inside a bamboo is like. By the way, that's going to be the thing where we want to try to do to just like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just an old, old school way of cooking, but yeah. you really got to know how to do it. But like my father was telling me about it, where it's like, basically the bamboo itself is it's a vessel, and it's bamboo is just water and moisture. So you put you know your meat in there, and then you close it the end off with. Um, uh, banana leaves and you just stuff it and you throw it right on the fire and just yeah. keep turning it and it just braises inside. The problem with that shit is uh, I brought a bunch of that home. Uh, our buddy Clay, he's got a bunch of bamboo in his yeah. yard. I yeah. brought a bunch home. But it, it's cool, but then as soon as it dries out, it just cracks to hell. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to need a steady supply. Yeah, you know? and it's really funny. <laughs> you, won't be able to have, you won't be able to have one Well, down in North years. Carolina, North Carolina, there's a bunch of monk people that live down there. Uh, they uh, planted bamboos in the back of their yard, and now it's like invasive there. Yeah, yeah. And so they're just cutting down. And if you, I, I got some cousins down there. You call them, they'll just send you a bunch up. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Green bamboo, real, real fresh. So yeah. What was your earliest experience uh, in in uh, 
how, how old were you when you came to the U.S.? Uh, I was like four and a half. So I, I'm assuming that they that, that your people, they didn't hunt and fish in the refugee camp just because of the nature of the camp, right? Or, they, they did too. So, like, oh, really? Like, so you, could, you, you could, they, they could go as they please yeah, within a certain limit? Kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it's a huge. So, so you got to realize that that refugee camp held from 75 to 92 held 90,000 people. So it's like, it's a city yeah, and it was big and there wasn't like, here, here's the borders, here's the wall. It's just like, you know, you can go into the jungle and you can hunt and you can do things. There, there were people that were, they had gardens and, you know, they were, you know, people that were selling stuff in there too. So, yeah. Then when he, in the U.S., what was your earliest exposure to, to hunting here in the U.S.? Um, my parents like hunt, my aunts and uncle, or, you know, my uncles and them hunt. And so it was, you know, when, when deer season came around and, you know, like we always had a deer. You know, really? one or two. Yeah. And and the cool thing about the Hmong culture, and yeah, you can contest to this, is like the way that it works in our family, because I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. It was all cousins, right? Uh, un- un- uncles and them all living around there. And if one of them got a deer, no matter the time of the day, like if it was like nine o'clock, we got a deer, they call, and then our whole family would just go over there and everybody just breaks it down and then we just make a meal out of it. Oh, really? you know, oh yeah, dude. Like I, I didn't understand. I didn't know that you can get the deer processed. I was just like, wait, what? what? <laughs> like you pay someone else to process your deer. I'm like, don't you guys just do it? And they're like, no, why? Or, you know, and it's just like, it was always like, and when I, when I got into the food world, everyone's like, oh, nose to tail cooking, man. That's the cool thing. Nose to tail cooking. I'm like, do we call that a Tuesday yeah, at our house? Yeah, like yeah. that was, that was an everyday thing, you know? So it was normal. It was normal growing up. Uh, you know, we didn't go to the grocery store for pork. Like we went to an Amish farm and then like picking lobster, dad goes that one. And then he, you know, and then he does his thing to it. And then we all kids is like, okay, everyone grab a knife. And then we help break it down, you know? And that was like, I didn't, I didn't grow up playing basketball, didn't go to basketball camp or, you know, throwing, learning how to throw a baseball. This is what I did. And, and I thought it was normal. You know, I thought it was like every kid did this. Then I found out, I remember the day I found out that, wait, you can just buy pork at the, Mm-hmm. grocery store all chopped we, up yeah like what it would blew my mind in college when i figured that out that's yeah. amazing yeah i love that <laughs> yeah. at what point did you think that you were going to get into the food biz like the restaurant uh, biz? yeah was, so, did it seem like a lot of obstacles no i i i was always so i i'm a uh i'm a like if i touch it with my hand i can understand it better i'm not you know, my, my brothers and sisters are super academic they're really smart they're incredible but for me, I was like, I'll read a book and I'm like, duh, I don't know what happened here, you know? But like, if you put stuff in front of me and says, hey, like break down this chicken and I'm gonna show you where the joints are or, or they're like, hey, this is how we break down a deer or this is how we break down a rabbit. I could, like my dad will show me, he'll break it up and goes, here are the joints you need to cut. Here are the four cuts. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, and, and it made sense to me. Um, I didn't like, my my parents didn't want me to cook because they felt that that was a very hard job. You know, my father said to me, he said, we came to this country so that uh, you can sit. I want you to sit in a nice office somewhere and signing people's oh, checks. D- doctor yeah. or lawyer? Doctor or yeah, lawyer? Yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was, that was our, it. That was your choice yeah. growing up. Doctor, lawyer, or some kind of business person. We heard that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We had a uh, South Vietnamese dude explain that. He said, you're either a yeah. doctor or lawyer, you're not my kid. Yeah. And, and I remember as a kid yeah, growing three up. three choices. Yeah. And, and yeah. as a kid growing up, I, I hated that. I was like, oh, frick. Like, I'm not smart enough to do that. And I remember uh, it, it, this, this actually hit me probably about like three or four years ago. And I realized what my father was saying because he would always be like, I don't want your hands. 
and your knees to hurt like mine. Because my dad was a carpenter. Mm, he was a you. he was a welder. He was a yeah. he built homes, you know. And he goes, I don't want this for you. He goes, I take the pain so you would never have to. And as a kid, you didn't understand that. You're like, whatever, dad. As an adult, like it, like he always said. Uh, my my dad always say, "Cosa olico bututuana." Means don't be like me. I'm dumb. Yeah, I want hmm. you to be smarter than me. I want you to be better than me. And I get super emotional about this, but like, I remember I was cooking at this grill out and it was huge. It was a long day and my hands were all sooted up from the, you know, from, from cutting all day and from working the fire and my hands are just like tired and my knees are tired. And in that moment, I was like, I feel the closest to my father mm -hmm. where I'm like, I am you and I want to be you, you know, like, like he's a great man. He's like a hero and I'm just... And I, I get what he was saying. Like, I get what he was saying. He's like, I don't want you to be like me because I'm dumb. But I'm like, no, nah, man, like everything that's good about you, integrity, honor, how to be a man. Like, I learned that from you. Mm -hmm. How to butcher meat. I learned that from you. I want to be like you. And that's why I love being a cook. Cause, like, right, and you're yeah. like, how can those things be bad, dad? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. But all he wants is like, as any refugee and immigrant is like, I want what's better. Like, you guys are fathers. You get it. You want to set up a life that's better for your children that you had. You want you don't want them to go through pain and struggle. And I get it. And when I was young, I was dumb. I didn't get that. I was just like, what, dad doesn't care? Now it's like, yeah. Like, I I love working the field with him. I love breaking down animals with him, you know? You know, I think that a thing that he was probably thinking about too is that Like if he knew that you could do, if he knew that you could work with your hands and and like be around heat and struggle, mm -hmm. but then find some level of security, it would have been different. Mm -hmm. But he's probably associating, yep. he's associating labor and struggle mm -hmm. with struggle. Yeah. And not labor and struggle with, with some sort of success and security. Yeah. Because you know what I'm saying? Cause yeah. you could probably do, I, I bet you now, Oh, like now he probably looks at you and he's probably proud as shit. Yeah, you know, it was it was one of these things where um we we did this event and the lieutenant governor came by and gave me this little award and whatever and it was like, you know, whatever. And I remember my dad didn't say this, but he said to my mom, he said, um, he said something along the lines of like, I live in a world now where my son can speak and leaders will listen to him. Mm. And like in our culture, that's yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And and I and and it's not like I don't ever believe that my dad was never proud of me, but in that moment, he said, I think he even said to me, he goes, I'm sorry, I just didn't know what you do. Yeah, you, you know? took an yeah. unexpected pathway. Yep. Like you took a really unexpected pathway yeah. to get to somewhere that made sense to him because what made sense to him was just that you, that you knew how you were going to eat. You knew yep. how you were going to take yeah. care of yourself. You knew yeah. how you were not going to struggle yeah. and not be under someone's thumb. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and so it's like, it's very different now, but man, like I said, you know, and even with Korean, we were talking, our pre-production, we were talking about this, and I was just like, dude, my life is pretty simple. Like, it, it is, what I do is I get to speak on their legacy. Mm -hmm. So about five years ago, my dad had a horrible accident from work, or five or six years ago, and he was in the uh, ICU, and he fell, he shattered his skull, and not... Doctors like we don't know what's gonna happen, and I remember I just started this whole food stuff, and you know we were getting some you know some push, and people were like really excited, and at that point it was like 
hey man, like this is new kid. He's making monk food, blah, 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 whatever. And I remember visiting him in the ICU. It's my dad's my hero, man. Like he's he's a freaking warrior, right? He fought a war. Like he like I thought to myself, I remember holding his hand at the in, in, in the intensive care unit, and I just thought to myself, this is not how warriors die. This is not how heroes die. They either die on the battlefield in a great fight or they die as an old man around like all their grandkids and all the people around them. Like they don't die by slipping on a stupid ladder at work, you know, and, 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 and fracturing their skull on a job that they didn't ever need to be in, right? And I was so pissed at myself. I'm like, what the frick, dude? And I remember driving back. It was like three hour drive and they were in Marshville, Wisconsin at that time. And I was driving back to Minneapolis and I just thought to myself, my life's got to change, man. Like I, I can't, it can't be about, oh, we're going to make this stuff to be about Hmong food. No, man. It's going to be about their legacy. And because we have to, why do we always wait for people to pass away to talk about them, to talk about how great they were, you know? Like, why not now? Why not when they can see it? And so, man, I, life is pretty simple for me. Now, we get to travel the country. We get to make food for thousands of people through our restaurant, through events we do around the country where at the end, like, we talk about Hmong food, but at the end, I can take that story back. And I'm like, I want you to tell you, I want to tell you guys about this legacy that means so much to me. And And for me, one of the things that, I really love doing it. That's why I think that it, it really shows in hunting, right? And I think in hunting, it's about legacy, right? It's about like, hey, if there's this piece of land that belonged to my great, great grandfather that was passed down, passed down, we can hunt in it. We can enjoy it. Our kids, kids can enjoy it. And it was one of those things where it becomes this initiative of mine. You know, my parents have always worked these gardens and there's all, the property's always rental. And so it's like, yep, my one of my goals is I'm going to buy them a garden. I'm going to buy them a piece of land that's like in their name. The LLC is in their name. Yeah. So that before they pass away, before the Lord takes them away, like they have a piece of paper that says, this is yours, you know? And so that's kind of another initiative where I'm really passionate about, you know, because that's, oh, that'd be cool. they, yeah, that's, that's all they want to do. And so, yeah, so we, again, I get to do all that. And that's why I get excited about, especially when we talk about Hmong food. You know? Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. 
The reason I like black buffalo pouches is one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. When, uh, to, to get into the food business, mm-hmm. did you have to go cook someone else's food before you could do Hmong food or did you just get right into Hmong food? Absolutely. I did not want to cook Hmong food because I was super embarrassed about it oh, because really? I was super embarrassed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was just like, oh, you know, what and, food did you think you had to make to be legitimate? Uh, I didn't think I had to make a certain food. I just had to be good at cooking. Yeah. You know I mean? I mean like cooking is, it, it, it's basic, right? Uh, it's like, you know, it's like breaking down an animal. If, if it's it's a four legged creature, it's they're all basically the same kind of you know they're breaking down the parts. Uh, so, so so my whole thing was I was decent. Like I was never. I don't think I was ever a good cook. I was just fast enough to keep up with the tickets that came in. And I was the only one. I remember started cooking. I was the only one that lived like kind of like a straight life, you know. So like so my chefs are always like, dude, I just know that tomorrow you're a seven or at you know at, on Saturday at. 10 a.m. You're gonna come in and you're not gonna be like in jail or hungover or whatever. So, so they, they respected just, that. Yeah, they just like, dude. <laughs> and that's what I tell any young kid who wants to get into food or any kind of work. I'm like, just show up, bro. If you show up, like, oh, these kids I got today, Steve. I'm gonna tell you. I just say, show up. Just show up. And you know, uh, my old mentor of mine, Mark Brockberg from college, would always say uh, he used the acronym FAT. F A T. Faithful, available, teachable. Show up and be faithful, available, and teachable. You know, and that's just what I did. And I was, it wasn't like a strategy. It was just like, that's all I know how to do. You yeah. know, and, and eventually I just learned and learned. And, and so what my goal was whatever kitchen you want to put me in, like, 
I might not be the best, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to outwork everyone here. And even if it means like I'm the last one out, I'll be the last one out. And that was, and again, that was something my father instilled in me. And I just, I didn't realize that at a young age. And now it's just like, you know, you get all these young chefs who comes in and they're like, oh, look at my $500 life. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to start my own YouTube channel. And you're just like, okay, dude, like go peel like 8,000 pounds of potatoes. Then we'll talk. You know, it's just like. That was that there's that quote that's attributed to one of the guys from Leonard Skinner. Um, which was learn how to play your guitar and then get sexy. Yeah, I, I, yeah. In, in, in <laughs> restaurant, I just go learn how to use a knife, and yeah, I don't know if you'll ever be sexy, but you know. <laughs> so, what was the first chance to do? Like, how did it happen that all of a sudden you got to start doing your, uh, you know, your your traditional food? Yeah. Uh, so I was working through all these different restaurants in Minneapolis. They're incredible restaurants. The chefs were amazing. Like high, mean, high end places, yeah, like yeah, fine dining. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Um, you know, and 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 I, w- I had this ability to learn from some really, really great teams, and then I was like, okay, well, let's start out with this little pop up. So we started like a little pop up, and people are like, "What's a pop up?" And you're like, "I don't know. Just come in on Friday, and you we're open for five hours and just eat." So we did that, and then we're like, "I don't know." What should and I do who next? was showing up? Monk? Uh, monk, monk people, yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. monk people, okay. here, here's the thing. There's a, you know how there's so like. So they don't mind throwing down some bucks well, on food. Well, here's the deal. Here's yeah. the deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know how there's black Twitter? There's monk Facebook, okay? <laughs> I, I, didn't know about, I didn't know about either of these things. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there's black Twitter and there's monk Facebook. And let me tell you, the thing with our community, it's a big community, but it's a small community. Y'all knows what I'm talking about. If some, if one of the, if one of your sons went and wronged like some other girl from another clan, like trust me, his picture will be up. Everybody's going to know, you know, they're like, oh, we know what clan he's come from. Oh, we know what village he lives in or what town he's from. Oh yeah. We know his cousin. Like you will be ratted out so fast in there. So, so there's Hmong Facebook. Now, as much and as apparently it works for you and against you. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. So somehow on Hmong Facebook said, Hey, there's this new kid that's doing like Hmong food in Eastside St. Paul in this little place called Cook St. Paul. My buddy owned this place. Uh, it was a is a diner, so it was uh, yeah. open in the you know breakfast and lunch, and it was evening was closed. And then Friday, so you took over the evenings. Yeah, so one once a month. That was it. And I still and then at that time I was still from Mon- Monday no from Sunday to Thursday I was working at Coastal Seafoods. I was a fishmonger. You know, because like I did the birch tree stuff and I'm like, I want to learn more about fish. So like mm-hmm. I would do fish. I smell like fish all day. And then uh, Friday, Saturday, once a, once a month, we would do these little pop-ups. And I I never wanted to be the kid who said, oh, yeah, I want to go start my own business. Like people like, you know, right now you have all these like, how to be an entrepreneur. Like, that's not me. I'm like, this is so dumb, you know. And then eventually we were very blessed to have a few uh, media people pick up on it and said, hey, let's talk about this, you know, and. And and then we, yeah, well, that was like seven years ago. Seven. But when you first did the pop up, you had it was Hmong coming. Yes, we had. But a at lot some of point, people. it caught. But at, but it so just so, organically caught on well, with people who just wanted to try new things. Well, in in the Twin Cities, Hmong are really well known. You know, so yeah. we have a few big shops in there. Oh, so people there are likely to know. The oh cuisine. yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, seventy five thousand yeah. in the metro. We are the you know uh, largest. Uh, um, uh, BIPOC group, you know, in the Twin Cities. So like, there, I mean, it's Hmong and Somalians, you know, and it. so it's it's huge. Uh, so what happened was, uh, you know, we had some Hmong people come, but then like, and this was a while back, and this was the beginning. <laughs> oh, how do I say this? I have this like love hate with quote unquote food influencers, you know. Yeah. And and so this was the beginning of like Instagram food influencing or like quote unquote foodie. When people say foodie, I'm just like. 
everyone's a foodie. You eat food, right? There, you're a foodie. Just sh- mm-hmm. chill, right? Um, it's even, a concept that's kind of dying yeah, off. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. But you People know what I'm saying? People were real excited about it for a while, though. Absolutely, yeah. right? And so we had a few who were just really gracious, and they were like, hey, we really love what you're doing. So we're just, like, so they just kept following us around, and they just kept putting social media. It's like, hey, like, Union Monk Kitchen's here. Union Monk Kitchen. I was so embarrassed of being Hmong in the beginning, too, bro. Like, I'll be honest right here with you guys. Is It was called Union Kitchen. I didn't want to put the word Hmong in there because I didn't want white people to be deterred, right? And I had a buddy. He was a PR guy. He works for a big PR firm, and he goes, dude, don't be a chicken, man. He's a white dude, right? white Jewish dude. And he goes, put the word Hmong in there. And I'm like, really? Like, is, do you think and he's like do it and so for the first like year it was just union kitchen union kitchen you know and 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 i we changed it to union monk kitchen and people were like yeah like this is amazing you know mm-hmm. and so like I, I i still went on my own little journey of like oh, i don't know if people are gonna like this and again we were very blessed and then after a while there was like different you know stuff came in and you know we were just like hopping, uh, we eventually got this little food trailer at a brewery that we did food out of. But what really helped us was no joke, the catering world, like catering weddings. We killed, we catered uh, bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. That was so awesome. Are you serious? <laughs> One of the most, like this is what I talk about. I, we always say about food is a universal language we can use to speak to each other, mm-hmm. right? It's amazing. I mean, I think it's what I love about what you guys do, where it's like, we're not just only a hunting animal, but we cook we cook it together. And it's just this like, oh, I might not be like into the hunting scene, but the cooking thing is like, dude, that's really cool. Like food has this ability to bring everybody together. And so we I, we got a call and this uh, this person was like, you know, the St. Paul mayor, like they, they, I think they were like, they knew the mayor of St. Paul or something like that. And they're like, hey, my, uh, I have a bum mitzvah coming up. And we were like, we can't do pork, obviously, but we'll do everything else. So we're like, okay. And so we catered like a bar mitzvah. And then, then through the like the Jewish community, they heard about it. And then another Jewish uh, family's like, yeah, can we do a bar mitzvah for us? I'm like, sure. You yeah. know, and we were in a synagogue. We were like, like a nationless, uh, a nationless well, yeah. people. Bring them on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, we are kind of weird cousins. Let's do this. You know, you bar, guys don't. Bot, doesn't yeah. matter to me. You guys don't do pork. We do beef. What's yeah, up? Everywhere you, know? you go, they try to run you yeah. off. Come yeah, on over. Yeah, we, uh, we even had inquiries for quinceaneras too. And like, I kid you not. And that's kind of where we were. And it was, we went from like, um, like women's prayer group brunches from Lutheran <laughs> churches. I kid you not, gentlemen, making quiche and French toast. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm down. You know, we, this was like a while back where it's like 400 bucks. Yes, that's gold. Let's do it. You know, we yeah. went from that to bar mitzvah, bar mitzvahs. And then we had big events. And then, um, uh, Melvin Carter, who is the first African-American mayor in uh, St. Paul, he, when he won and he had his big bash party, they called us and they, hey, we love you. Come and do the food. And so we like the catering and the private catering scene where, you know, where yeah, I was talking about, like, that's kind of where we started, you know, and that's kind of it wasn't because like, pe- people always ask me, like, who, who's your marketing person? Like, where did you guys go to do? I'm like, bro, like we, I went from door to door catering events i would go all the time and i i felt like a um what's you know my joke was i felt like a like a a lady of the night you know (laughs) like you would go in and do something special for the client and they tell their friends and then i get a call next time goes hey uh, the johnson's called they they said you did that special thing for them like can you do that i'm like well what's the budget and they'll give me the budget i'm like well the johnson's gave me a little more like yeah i will take care of you and then you go in and you you carry like a few suitcases you come in where do i set up and you know you do your thing and then you leave and you 
paid and you shower and you feel better the next day kind of deal, you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> that, that's how we started. And I even went, I did like a bachelorette parties too. Like that was one of the weirdest ones where I did like a private dining uh, cooking scene for, for a, I, I didn't know it was a bachelorette party. I walked in, like literally I had like a, a, a few boxes of like the food and stuff. I walked in and it's just all women. I'm like, what's going on? Like, oh yeah, I didn't tell you, this is my um, sister's bachelorette party. And we wanted you to do like a private dinner. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you, you guys know I'm like a cook, yeah, right? You're like, 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 in, I, in these clothes, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. The apron's covering everything, okay? <laughs> I could do the shirt off, but that's going to be a little extra, you know? So like, that's how we hustled. And then we were very blessed. Uh, the restaurant grew. Uh, you know, we, we brought in more people. We have incredible operators. We have, you know, our... You know, we had we grew an executive team, and then when it came time to saying, "Hey, how do we grow?" I think one of the next growth path was how do we expand and, and build our own restaurant. You know, going uh, our own brick and mortar restaurant. That is, and you know, we have two little guys, but to get our big guy, we, you know, I had to go do the song song and pony dance and go to banks and find investors, and then uh-huh. that that's when it's a gut check, uh, you know, of like, do you really believe in what you're doing? Because when you stand in front, like when you go sit with some of these investors or potential investors who like write like $150,000 checks, like, you know, they're giving them out five bucks for, you know, Starbucks or something. You got to like, they look at you and like, woo me. And you ends a gut check of like, do you believe in this? Do you sure, like, man. it's like, yeah, you know, and I, I said, I said to, uh, I get to talk to a lot of Hmong high school kids. And I said, in life, you're going to go around in life and there's going to be these people in your life and they're going to believe in you and they're going to tell you incredible things about yourself and i'm like think of that as equity and you put it in a little piggy bank in your heart and one day there's going to come a moment in your life you got to break that piggy bank and take all that equity and you got to go bet it on yourself yeah and that i mean those was, was like the har- like the hardest thing was that to to go and say oh this building project is a million dollar project and so okay okay we got to go we got to talk and when you get in these rooms with these guys who are making million dollar deals for them or like nothing. You know, yeah, they you need know to find out if you're weak or not. Yes. Yeah. And that's when you go, do I believe? And that's, um, you know what I draw from? I, I don't draw from years confident. I draw from mom and dad. Like I, rem- I think about them. I think about all the hard work they put in. Like I think about the war my dad fought. I think about my mom being in that war prison camp for a year and she, where she told me that she would pray every morning that God would allow her to die because it was so horrible in that camp that they mm-hmm. had to live in. And she said that one day, she said that one day I was praying in the morning. She said, she was this young girl. She said, I was praying and I said, I, God, will you let me die today? Because I, I can't, can't take life here anymore. And she said, there was a voice inside my heart that says, I can't let you die because your children is going to change the world. So I need you to hold on a little longer because your children that you've never met, they're going to change the world. And she, and, and the day that I was announced as uh, a finalist for the James Beard, uh, she called me and told me that story. Oh, really? I, oh, man. Like, I'm like crying. You know, and the like, frying pan yeah, one. Yeah. Well, Not yeah, even the yeah. gift from God. No, <laughs> no. no. She, she kind of just said, today when I heard that you were nominated as one of the best chefs in the country, I knew why. Like yeah, yeah. I needed to keep moving on. So I think yeah. about She's all like, that. I can't wait to see what your brother yeah. does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if my no, second no. pony get Dude, y- y- y'all could contest this, man. It, you can be the most successful whatever in your family, but when you're around your uncles, man, they remind you you're 10 years yeah. old. Yeah. When I freaking, when we have like big parties and grills and I'm standing by my uncles and they're grilling, they're like, oh, let me tell you, kid, how you do this. Yeah. And I'm like, 
and you know what I end up doing? I end up becoming the dude who holds the plate for all of them to put the meat on. And they're all like, let me tell you, if you want more people in your restaurant, this is what you do. And I'm like, I'm, I just want to be like, Uncle, you're, here's the deal, man. You work at like Anderson Windows, okay? I know where you work at the plant. You don't really cook, but apparently... The country has said I'm pretty decent at what I do, but sure, I'm pretty sure you have a secret, you know? So, you know, so... Yeah, we, yeah. we can't really overcome the age and the wisdom. Yeah. Of, your uncles, of, man. Of your uncles. a high priority. Put oh, yeah. and, they make and, sure they remind you who you oh, are. Yeah, you, you get reminded. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember when you were five, and I'm you like... You guys <laughs> going to do that to your nephews? No, I, I will not. Do you know why? Well, I, I do, because at the stage... <laughs> hey, hey, don't, don't, don't make the mistake of... Th- I see people... This is not, this is not like, cultural. <laughs> it's I, just, I just human, It's right? human. Yeah. I see people all the time um, throw out because of, because of not liking something about their parents or how they were brought up. They throw the whole thing out. I completely understand. Yeah. Instead of just doing a slight yep. tweak. Yep. No, I, I do the same you thing. Know? Like my niece and nephew, they work at the state fair. We have a, this a stall at the state fair, and this year they work there. And they're from Wisconsin, so they come up and they stay up with grandma and grandpa for a week, and they work there or two weeks, and they work there. And I I remember I was like harsher on them. Than the other kids, you know, because I was like, dude, you guys need a double time. Like, let's go. Yeah. And I realized I'm like, oh, dude, I sound like my father. Like, like when we're working, you know, he's just like, hey, like, I need you to, you know, keep working at it. And I believe in allowing kids to struggle a little bit, you know, when they're working, you know, because I I really want to be like, where's the creativity to, you know, figure things out. And I think we work that with our chefs too, you know, like allow them a little, a little line to, uh, to, to struggle, you know. And yeah. Say, yeah I, I'm way more, yeah. like, I'm way more financially comfortable than I ever mm-hmm. thought I would be. Mm-hmm. And I worry constantly about my kids being too soft mm. all the time, man. You know, it's like, yeah, you, you want to over, not overdoing it, but you just worry about them being like, do you have the gur? you know, am I like depriving you of the gur? Well, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing that it's like this first world problem that you had to think about because when you're, <laughs> you, you know, your dad he didn't think any other way other yeah. than like, I don't want my kid to struggle the yeah. way I did. I need to find him a yeah. better place. Mm-hmm. We grew up in a place where life was pretty darn easy in our circumstances, I yeah. believe. You know, speaking from, you know, most of us I here. Mean, rel- from a global perspective, yeah. real easy. Exactly. <laughs> Couldn't and get so easier. you have to then think about how are you going to instill that to your kid because they're not seeing us struggle like the way mm-hmm. you saw your dad struggle, yeah. you know? Yeah, but I, I also think too that one of the things that I love, like one of the things I, I get to do, I love to do is there's a lot of high schools up in the, in the Twin Cities area that are like, you know, they have a higher population of, of monk kids. Mm. And so I get asked to come in as a speaker. And, and, I, and I, the thing that I love doing is like, I love looking them in the eyes where it's like a big auditorium, like 300 kids. And you see the group of like 50 monk kids. And I look them in the eyes and I said, hey, guys, I, like, I'm like, to all my like white brothers and sisters and friends out there, like I, I'm going to put you guys on pause. So I'm just talking directly to the Hmong brothers and sisters. And I say, here's the deal. Your, your grandfather and your fathers, they fought a war and they, they, they fought a war that wasn't their war, but they fought it with honor. And then when a promise was made that they would have free passage to America for fighting for America, it was denied for them. They still got to America and they worked here and they worked for years and years and years to get you where you are. And so anytime you feel like you can't do something or anytime you feel like, oh, I don't think I'm like strong enough. You remember that the blood that pumps through their vein is the same blood that pumps through your heart, you know, and to remember, I mean, I think that that's one of the biggest things is like, remember where you come from. And for me, that was a big, like big part of 
look, man, the restaurant industry isn't easy. It it sucks, you know. And I was explaining to one of our uh, one of our workers, uh, or you know, one of the kids that work with us about how how our uh, for the restaurant the profit margin is like eight percent. And if you're a really good year, you get ten, you know. And that's like a really good year. And and, and she was like, what What do you mean by that? And I'm like, so imagine if you did something and you got a hundred dollars, and all I said is you can only keep eight dollars. And she's like, that sucks. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's the restaurant world. And it hit her. She was like a younger high school, college kid, and she's like, oh my gosh, really? I'm like, yeah. You know, and so so you were like, so now let's circle back yeah. to the fact that you threw the shanks <laughs> yeah. in the trash. Yeah, or I get people that are like, oh, it's it's so amazing what you do. I get young monk kids that come up, bless their heart. They're like, wait, I want to be a chef, and I'm like, and I, I do the Billy Madison scene, you know, where you like you squeeze their face. You're like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where you're like, don't say that. Stay where you are. Never grow up, Billy. I want to go to high school too. You know, and and that's how I I feel. But then again, there is this thing of like man there's just something about the grind and the grit that happens in my heart and especially and that's what one of the things i love about being Hmong and being able to talk to younger Hmong kids where it's like you're gonna struggle and it's gonna suck so you make yeah it's american elbow grease dude but yeah it's, it's, it's Hmong elbow grease yeah and <laughs> i don't and, and that's my big thing man I, I love talking to people about it where i'm like this isn't an, a Hmong thing only this is a human thing yeah this is a human thing. Like, yeah, you, your parents did great things. Not universal se- human thing. Yeah, but yeah, but it's select few. Yeah, but you scattered know what I'm across the globe. But <laughs> even what and Giannis was saying, how like how you guys are like, hey, you you guys, you know, your parents set you up for a little bit better, you know, but you guys still worked hard to where you are. Like, it wasn't like, okay, now I'm just gonna play with all this. Like, no, like you guys worked, and then being able to pass that down too, you know, and I I think that. Man, like we got a little more, like Yana, we got a little bit more, you know, heads up and more step up, you know, from where our parents are. And, you know, I don't have any kids, but one day, you know, when I do, like, well, my kids will have Old a little bit you? of, ugh, 39, dude. You married? No. What's going on there? Ugh, man. Is that that's, like, is your mom and dad bummed about that? Bro, that's, that's a whole new podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he, I'm sure he <laughs> so, hears it every day. So, so I, I'm, the the only one, I'm the only one in my family that's not married. Everyone's married and has kids. My parents have 21 grandkids, so they love it. You know, they they love being grandparents. Tell them, yeah, tell them I'm too busy making you proud. <laughs> yeah, right. But in our culture, though, what, what makes family proud in culture is uh, raising a family, having a yeah. family, having lineage, having, sure. you know. So, so that's that. Um, every three to four weeks, my mom gives me the talk. Uh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't push it away. I know that she gets to this point where she's a little older now, so she's nervous. Like I want to instill everything I have to you if if, yeah. if something was to happen. She had some health scare, you know. And so I get it. I listen to it. It's about a twenty minute speech. It's the same. It's usually on a phone call. I'm driving into work. It's the same one she gives every three to four weeks. And I listen, and I, I say, yes, mom, mm-hmm, yep, yep, great. And then sometimes she'll be like, wait, we have some cousins who have some daughters that are coming to visit from Michigan. They're at the house. Like, your dad and I would love some fish. She'll bring some fish over. And I'm like, I know what you're doing, you know, and stuff like that. But she, I mean, I get it. She, it comes from a good heart. You know, both of them. It comes sure, from a good heart. Yeah. And so I, I totally get it. Uh, yeah. Tell us, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. tell us about your show. Yeah, uh, you know we got this show called Feral. It's on Outdoor. You guys might have heard that channel. I've heard of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, w- you know, one of the craziest things was about two and a half years ago. Uh, Patrick, one of the producers, came up and goes, "Hey, I have an idea, bro." And uh, he calls me up, and we we've been doing a few TV stuff for like Food Network, and then we were very blessed to be able to do this thing with uh, Netflix with Iron Chef. And so he's like, "I have an idea. It's kind of crazy, but let me pitch it to you." And he's like. Uh, this idea is that you're going to travel the country. You're the host of the show. You travel the country and we find either invasive animals, animals that are destroying their ecosystem or animals that most people just won't eat. And we're going to go out with a guide. We're going to hunt them and we'll go outside and we'll 
you know, in the area where we hunt them, we set up a grill and we set up a little mini kitchen and you cook out there. And I'm like, and I, the first thing I said to him was I'm like, dude, this show is so mung, it's not even funny. <laughs> the idea that we're just going to go in the wild, find some kind of creature, hunt them down and cook it. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm like, what if this show, like, you know, at that point, we didn't know if the show would be picked up or not. And I'm like, if this show gets picked up, every mung uncle and cousin will be like, dude, like that's the show. And so- they uh, they said yeah, so we ran like a testing and outdoor came back. I goes, dude, we won eight episodes of Rocket, and then in one calendar year they greenlit three three seasons. So we just got done filming season three. Season one was released last fall, and then season two will be released in December. How many episodes are you making per release, like uh, per season? Eight. Okay, yeah, great. eight. And and man, I had this. Uh, I'm, I'm a small Wisconsin boy, right? I, I'm just from Wisconsin. I had this moment where I had this like come to Jesus moment where I'm like. I'm like literally chest deep in chocolate milk water in uh, Oklahoma City area uh, noodling for catfish. And I just thought to myself, man, if you would have told me this 20 years ago, 18-year-old kid going off to college, go, hey, one day you're, like, you're going to be doing this, cameras around. And I was just like, and and I, like that's college like, leads to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stay in school, kids. Uh, but it was like, do you know what I'm saying? Like it was that yeah. moment where it was like, I don't know if you, ever, if you guys ever had that like surreal moment or like, whoa, what am I doing here? Like, this is so amazing. And, and yeah, and then, you know, and the guy, you know, Nate was like, okay, I'll get your hand in there and let's go looking for catfish. I'm like, okay, buddy. You know, uh, yeah, but man, it, it's, it's such you a- should, You should talk about some of the critters that are on oh, season yeah, one. Yeah, season one, we did, uh, we went- that's all, that whole season's out. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Season one, we went all out. So we uh, first, uh, we, we, wild hogs, you know, um, oh. that, that was really, really fun. Um, a Burmese python, uh, with a guy named Dusty Crumb. Dusty Crumb, you can find him on the History Channel, and you know he's got a few other little shows down uh, there. And then we had iguanas, which was... The iguana one was really special for me because I, I, I showed my dad. I said, hey, Dad, we're going to go hunt iguanas. And he goes, oh, we used to hunt those as boys. Oh, really? And, yeah, in Laos. Wow. And I'm like, really? Yeah, on the trees. We see them all the time. We, we hunt them. We, we shoot them. And he said that they had these like little 22 guns. Like, like they're like they're like a one-loader type thing, and it's like basically it's like a stick, you know? And it's like... And I was thinking to myself... How did you guys aim? Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's like it's it's barely a gun, right? It's a stick with a little like firing pin that you just hit, you know. And and he goes, yeah, that's what we used to do. And then he told me the recipe they used, and it was awesome to be down in Southern Florida hunting iguana after we killed the iguanas to cook it the same way my father cooked it in the mountains of Laos, like sure, you know, seventy yeah. years that's ago. Cool. Where where I'm like, dude. This is so amazing. It was so special for me to be on national TV and being able to say, yep, dad did this 70 years ago in the mountains of Laos. Uh, we did uh, carp with Bo. Um, lionfish. Lolly and lionfish. That was cool. Oh, man. Yeah, lionfish. That was a... Well, I, I didn't do the scuba diving because I'm not scuba, scuba certified, but they thought it'd be fun to put... It, it's always a thing. I found out producers think it's fun to put a big guy in a wetsuit and just uh, <laughs> do like a 15-minute segment of like funny, goofy movie. I mean, trying to squeeze into a wetsuit. Sure. Yeah. So I squeezed into this wetsuit, <laughs> got into the water, and we were in uh, Destin, Florida, and they were like... I, I, the, our captain that was taking us, he's like, I don't know why you put the wetsuit on. It's like 75 degrees. And I looked at our producer, I'm like, why? Goes, I thought it'd be funny. And I'm like, screw you, dude. Are you seriously? I thought, like, I'm sweating into this wetsuit, right? I'm a big dude. He's like, yeah, I just thought it'd be funny. I didn't, I know you didn't need it. And I was like, oh, I'm trusting your producers. That's what happens. Uh, they learned that in producer school. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're, what, what kind of position would we put in? Oh, with a Burmese python, I went to catch it and it bit me, you know? And so I guess 
that I guess our one of our producers says like after the outdoor guys saw that and they're like, dude, that got a season two. Get bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now now that's like the funny thing, you know, where I'm like, oh, let's just try not to get bitten, you know. Like we did one up one season we did um alligator gar and it, it it wasn't dead yet when we pulled it on, you know, we shot it in the head, but we pulled it on the boat, it wasn't dead yet. So I'm like you know, the camera guys, one of our camera guys, hey, like, get near it, like, kind of, you know, like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. And then they like, snap back, and I'm like, screw you guys. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of the fun thing where it's like, how can we make Yia scream? Um, yeah. And then what else do we have? Well, we have, yeah, we had a, that was really fun. I, uh, and then season two was, you know, really fun. And that one we did, uh, we did Whitetail because up in uh, uh, kind of northern outside, a little bit, half an hour north of Minneapolis. Uh, there's, you know, just the, uh, population of doe, uh, uh, control with a white tail. So yeah. that was in a suburban and, environment. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And so, uh, you know, um, I, I grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin college there. And so I got to know the, um, uh, Matt McPherson, the uh, Matthews family, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Matthews bows. So we were able to use one of their bows and this is like the first time I've ever, you know, you, and I had a crash course in bow and I was just like, after you get done shooting at Matthews, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go back to anything else you know and so it was like really fun just to to, to, to go and learn the whole uh, system with bow and you know i grew up hunting and fishing but i'm by no means an expert and that's yeah. what makes the show really fun is like the first half of the show is like i'm fish out of water you know a guy takes me in I'm, I'm going and then what i've been told is what the producers really love is the fact that the second end of the show it's a reversal so the guide he you know they cooked what you know they do you know and then I get to, you know, show them like, you know, what I would do with, you know, with the meat or with the animal. And yeah, um, I think one of the funnest ones was a, a central Wisconsin area, kind of near my hometown. We, uh, we went uh, beaver trapping. Never done it before. And man, like beavers are just, oh, just big old freaking yellow teeth looking back <laughs> at you. And you're just like, oh my gosh, you know? And they're like, oh, yep, yep, go pull that out. And I'm like pulling this thing out, just like, thick fur and i was like oh yeah oh, nothing better man oh man <laughs> and then we broke it down and like we ate it i'm like this is delicious yeah like yeah. i love it it's you know? surprising but it's just yeah. i mean it's a big rodent you know and you're just like okay here we go you know um but yeah i mean we have some you know, we shot season three and then hopefully we'll hear back about season four but it's a really really fun show it just came out on they have it streaming now on uh my outdoor tv yep yeah we're I don't know. There's like this other show I see on there too called Meat Eater. Well, something, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man Eater. I think yeah, it was Man Eater. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Every time well, I go on there, you know, there's a picture of some guy I named Steve. I booked Steven. a hotel room uh, driving into a town a couple weeks ago. And she's like, well, what email? And I gave her the yeah. email, yeah. which is the, uh, the Meat Eater. And she immediately started laughing. Oh, <laughs> and and I was like, nope, that's what it is. And she's like, oh, okay. It's like, mm, just, uh-huh. it's like, why is it Seymour Butts at me eater? What? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you serious, sir? Like, yeah. yeah. So t- tell people how to find you. Uh, yeah, we have our so social- do the restaurant. Yeah, restaurant is at Union Mung Kitchen. Uh, it's on Union you know, Mung Kitchen. Yep. yep. So uh, you know, uh, it, you know, on Instagram, all those other platforms. And then me is for me it's at Yevang seven zero. Got so, it. Yeah, and you can find all the and then outdoor channel. Oh yeah, outdoor channel. My man. outdoor TV app. Yeah. Yep, my outdoor TV app. It's like great, man. First was it first thirty days are free or something like that? Yeah. I don't know. You're coming over for dinner tonight. Well, if you're invited. Do you know about that? 
Well, Karen said it's something planned. about it. We, well, I was just trying to be cool about it, you know. <laughs> Do you know how many friends text me and goes, "Dude, what are you doing in Bozeman?" And I'm like, "Ah, stuff." And then, and then, and then somebody goes, "Is it you going to go a meet with Steven and the boys?" And I'm like, "I don't know, maybe." And then they're all like freaking out a little bit. So I'm like, "Dude, just be cool, man." Well, I hope you did a good enough job. You'll have yeah. to just hold the plate as Steve grills. Yeah, and then you know, give it <laughs> Steve's like, if you I'm not going to grill. It's home cooking right yeah. now. It's, it's already like, on. Oh yeah, it's already cooking. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so and we're gonna have some chips, potato chips. Oh yeah, is that, your, <laughs> is that, is that your culture? Them? Is this is this Montana culture you're teaching me? Well, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome to, to to be here, man. And it's my first time in Bozeman. So Jordan and I's oh, first time in Bozeman. We got a chance to well, welcome. Enjoy the mountains. And Ya Yang, thanks for coming out, man. Yeah, of course. But I don't see you sooner. Me. I'll see you. Uh, I'll, I'll see you at Youth Turk. Yeah, exactly. You know where I'll be. Uh, am I invited to dinner too? You are invited to dinner. Um, but yeah, you're looking forward to it. I get that high feel, that youth turkey again. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to be opening more. <laughs> well, Doug said if I came for the first time with my girls, he'd give me that spot. No, no, no. He did. No. I'll call. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know what he says. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.